The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Mr. Samhagen, how are you? I'm good, how you doing? You're on top of the world right now, dude. I'm a pretty happy guy right now. (laughs) What a fight that was. What a fight. That was, in my opinion, one of the most technical and one of the, like the the finest performances in that division that 135 pound division to have a guy like you and marlon go after it like that that was a fucking great fight thank really you. great fight and you're you're like on top of it right now man it's really exciting to watch yeah um i'm getting pretty good you know <laughs> yeah for real like uh i've, I've really been just plugging up some holes, like figuring some some stuff out. I feel like uh, I'm at the part in the martial arts journey where I've gotten really good at being a really good learner. Like I can learn super fast and super efficiently now. Um, and it's like big time paying off. Like not only that, but I also, the space I was in before that Cheeto fight was uh, unlike one that I feel like I've ever been in in my life. How so? You know, uh, have you read like a decent amount of sports psych books? Yes. Where where they'll sometimes talk about how you're almost having this out of body experience where mm-hmm. you're ha- where you're almost like uh, floating above the court or the field or whatever. It was almost like that, except I wouldn't use the word like floating above. But I got to a space in that fight where um, I felt like all of the thoughts and all of the distracting things that sometimes happen in a fight were completely ignored and this like higher being better version like best no thinker just actor was running the show like it's almost like i was watching the thing happen while i was in the fight and there would be bits of me hopping in and being like hey throw this combination hey take a little bit more of a risk hey do this and then that would get completely just watched and this whoever was fighting that night that didn't even feel like me was the person that was fighting it was fucking cool man wow it was cool dude it was like you know like a psychedelic experience feeling type of thing really? it was cool what do you attribute that to how did, how did you get to that mindset it's a lot of uh you know messing stuff up like i remember the last time i was on was right after i had beaten frankie and uh i was in it's just a bunch of different parts of the journey and and uh in that part of the journey, I was really in this space where if I could make myself more war, if I could make myself more angry, if I could make make myself be up here, I would have success. That kind of stopped working a little bit after, uh, like around the TJ fight and then kind of during the Yon fight. And then definitely I tried to be that guy against Song and it was like too much of a distracting feeling where now my mindset's going into the last fight because it was such like a distracting feeling, just feeling like I have to get myself to a point of anger or upness before a fight where it, it, it just be, became distracting, where it was helpful before it became distracting in that song fight. I bailed on that, and I just tried to be as mindful and as present as I possibly could. Um, for like, and I know that those are like kind of corny words now, but, uh, there is some real substance to them, uh, when, when they're like really done well. And I would say maybe about six weeks before the fight, I I had this moment where I was sitting on the couch because I put a lot of pressure on myself and I, 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 uh, I want to be a world champ real bad. Um, where I was to the point where I wasn't enjoying any 
part of the camp, any part of the experience of fighting or anything. And I was sitting on the couch and I just like, I, I think I was crying a little bit. And I was like, I can't fucking do this for the next five years of my life. You know, like I can't do this for the rest of my career. And I was like, well, what's got to change? And I was like, I got to lose. I got to take this pressure off of me. And I got to start enjoying every day a lot more than I am right now. And from that, like six weeks before the fight, I started doing that. And I really think that that carried into the fight and it made me be a lot less tense, a lot less tight. And it made me be able to fight with just like a completely free way of being. Wow. And it, is this something that you had previously thought that you could get to that space or wanted to get to that space? Or is this something that you kind of experimented along the way and found this path? I'm a self learner. Uh, and, and I think that, uh, I think that there's ways of being in life that like you just kind of have to be at certain times. Like when you're a young kid, like you have to be like going and hitting it hard. Like you have to remember all of the hundreds of thousands of people on the other half of the world that are trying to accomplish the same goal as you. And you have to be a little bit, in my opinion, you have to be a little bit on the neurotic side of like, am I doing every single thing correct? Am I doing... Uh, am I putting the right amount of pressure on me? That That's totally a part of the journey, but I'm kind of more in the part of the journey where I've matured a lot as a fighter. I've matured a lot as a person. I'm getting married this year. Like I'm, I'm a little bit older. We're looking at kids probably in the next couple of years. And so I had to start thinking like, what's sustainable? Like what's like a sustainable way to continue doing what I love, but also becoming like a more mature adult? Um, and that's just part of the journey that I'm in right now. And uh, I don't think that anything was wrong with the way that I was doing before, but it just is like a moving target all the time. You know? So it's like you're just finding new ways to approach it and then realizing this way is better than the other way, even though the other way was effective. This is even more effective. So you're constantly trying to tweak it. Yeah. And, and I think that uh, everything kind of has its purpose. Like... Uh, in those times where I would, I, I was really embracing this like war mentality, this like very like bloodthirsty, vicious type of fighter that I was trying to be when I would go into the cage. That totally had its place because I had to experience what I what I thought that had to feel like in order for me to be the best martial artist that I can. Because I do feel like I've pointed all of my energy in my life and my mind and my spirit and everything towards the direction of being the best martial artist that I can be. And so going through that had its purpose, man. Like I, I had to figure out what it was like for me to be like a vicious killer, you know, because in society that's like not cool, you know. So right. like almost like uh, the shadow self or whatever uh, is like the subconscious term for it. Um, I had to like experience that. I experienced it. I figured out that it was no longer serving me. It was being distracting. So what do I need to do now? Now it's like, okay. You figured that part out. You can be that guy whenever you want to be that guy. But now we're being present. Now we're enjoying it. And you don't really need to be that guy until you walk into the cage. And even when you do walk into the cage, you don't need to be this, like, really dramatic, super emphasized, like, vicious guy. Like, be that guy, but you don't have to overdo it. And, and when you're learning something, I almost feel like you have to completely overdo it in order to learn, like, where that cutoff is. Like, mm. even in technique, like, if you could do an arm bar 
and win every single time with an armbar, why would you ever stop doing armbars? Right. It'd be stupid. So like you figure out how to like do something, way overdo it, figure out where the cutoff is and be like, ah, okay, I can't do it in like those situations. You pull back, you figure out what situations you need to do it in, and then you move forward. What was this? What, hap what happened? I lost. Can you hear me? My uh, headphones cut out. Hold on. Check, 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 check. Something happened over here, Jamie. I don't know what's going on, but uh, I lost the uh, headphones. We'll be right back, folks. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, that's okay. So, so what, where, where were we at? Um, so what was it about the other way you were approaching it, where, you know, last time you were here, you had just embraced this idea that you went in there with the intention to fuck people up. What was distracting about that? It's It's like a... It's like a hot burning flame, you know, like uh, I, I feel like it, it's I can only hold on to it for so long. Like I can't really uh, like it's a lot of energy to be that up. And so when I would be in the back and warmed up because you kind of you don't know exactly when you're going to walk. So I try to be ready, you know, like 20 minutes before I'd spend like 30, 40 minutes warming up, trying to be that guy. And then for 20 minutes, trying to sustain that guy. And that's like a long time to be that up, you know? So mm. even in the f in this fight, uh, because there's no preparing for that last hour before you go walk. Like, I don't care what type of guy you are or how zen you can be or how confident you are. That, that last hour before a fight, like, your mind's going to fuck with you a lot. And it's going to go to you thinking that you're the god of the universe, to you thinking that, like, you're about to go get slaughtered. And, uh... In the back before, if I started to feel like I was, you know, having those like impulsive thoughts of like fear or you're about to go get slaughtered, I try to just cover that shit up real quick by getting like real pissed. Um, and that's like a lot of energy to do. So before the Cheeto fight, I was super proud of the way that I was able to handle those feelings because those feelings are like real as hell when you're in the back. And how do you handle them? Well, I just watched them, man. Like, uh, I just realized like ah okay like i'm having i'm having the sense of fear in me and i would just kind of sit there and be like okay well i'm not really fighting right now so just let the fear be there right now your job is to get warmed up and so i just took it okay right now i'm getting warmed up okay they said 10 more minutes till we walk okay i'm having the sense of fear still that's okay i'm still in the back and then step by step by step okay i'm 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 walking out now cool okay looking across from them, okay, touch gloves, now we're fighting. It's literally, it sounds super fucking simple, but it's just step by step by step, man, just like, okay, I'm having that sense, I'll just watch that and not really, I mean, you acknowledge it, but you don't, I, I didn't, I don't try to cover it up, or I don't try to like be someone else, I just kind of watch it as if it was just someone else, it, it happened to someone else, and then just move on. It doesn't sound super simple at all, mm. uh, not to me at least. It's I know what you're saying, and that feeling has got to be like riding a wild wave. Like you just got to maintain your balance. And to watch you go into that fight, what was so impressive, um, besides the fact that you're fighting a world class guy in Marlon Vera, and you you were controlling the action was the overwhelming, like, the amount of information you were throwing at him. You were constantly changing levels, constantly threatening takedowns, constantly switching stances, and everything was, you know, there's, fighters kind of, sometimes they'll fall into a pattern, 
and you can kind of predict that pattern. There was no pattern with you. It was mm-hmm. all over the place. And it was so overwhelming. When I was watching, I was like, Jesus Christ, like this is so high level. And I don't, I mean, for like a casual, I don't know if they're seeing that. But for someone who watches a lot of fights and has been around martial arts, you know, my whole life, when I was watching, I was like, this is about as high level as it gets. Thank you. Like, you were mixing shit up so well. Like, the way you were choosing your attacks, whether it was the low kick or whether it was punches and the switch stance to punches, the, the, the shot, it was amazing, man. It was really fucking good. It was really fun to watch because... It wasn't just that you were doing that, but you were doing that for five fucking rounds. Like, you never varied. You never slowed down. There was never, like, breathers. It was just a full-on assault of all of his reactions and all of his, uh, his you know, ability to read you. It was like, attack, bang, hit there. Okay, trying to settle, boom, this coming in. Oh, now there's a shot. It was like, there was no, there was no breaks. Yeah, it was pretty awesome, man. It was like, pretty uh, fucking wild. Yeah, it was pretty wild. Uh, I think that that's always going to be one of my stronger points is that I can make decisions a lot faster than other people. Um, I, I honestly think that that's what makes good people from great people because good people can do, they can make the right decisions and continue to make them, continue to make them, continue to make them. But uh, at some point, the person that's better at doing those things is going to surpass that person eventually. It mm. might not happen early. It, it, you know, like it could take some time. And against some of the best guys in the world, it's going to take some time. But eventually, your processing speed will outpower theirs. You know, and I think that I do that really, really well. I think that um, my training has a lot to do with that too. What is different about your training? Um, so all of the conditioning that I do or almost the, the conditioning parts that I take really seriously, um, are the sparring days. I I used to like hit mitts real hard and I still do like a strength and conditioning workout once a week. Um, that's like, you know, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, minute rest, you know, stuff like that. But, um, there's no getting tired. Like there is getting tired in sparring. So I'll do, if I, I usually do 10 week camps. The first week I'd just knock the rust off, you know, and then I do two seven weeks or two seven round weeks. So we spar Tuesday, Fridays. I do seven rounds those days. And then the next two weeks I do eight rounds, both of those days. And then I'll do like six and then the rest of them five. Cause I want to get used to five. But in those seven round weeks and those eight round weeks, those are hard as fuck, man. Like I get, like, I try to get so tired where I'm just like, I can't, I don't feel like I can make decisions anymore. And I really think that having the concentration to focus for those 40 minutes makes it way easier for me to focus in the 25 minutes. You know, like, mm. uh, it's, I, you know, I don't really know if that's science or not, but I definitely think that if I can stay focused for 40 minutes, 25 minutes will feel like nothing. So I really, like, really push myself there. And is this a, a, a strategy or is this a, a program that you've just developed over trial and error? Yeah, I make my own shit up pretty much, you know, really? uh, pretty much, you know, like I, I uh, so Christian Allen was my coach. He's like the guy with always the crazy haircut, mm-hmm. kind of built like me. Um, Christian Allen has always been my coach uh, and he's an interesting guy. Like uh, a lot of his philosophies are really traditional martial arts philosophy. Like he turned me on to a lot of really um like people like Bruce Lee, of course, like Krishnamurti, 
uh, like just like free, free thinkers. So he always instilled in me this uh, and, and tried to empower this ability inside me to think for myself, because I think that a lot of people don't really do that in the sport. To be honest with you, I think that a lot of them get their hand held by their coaches, which is totally one way to do it. And honestly, a lot of people do need that. But uh, I, I was never taught to be that way. I was taught to be the quarterback of my own game, uh, not like someone that takes orders. He instilled that in me big time. So I kind of I tweak things and handle a lot of the way that I do things in camp by myself. I, of course, have people around me that I know love me a lot and care about me enough to tell me what they think I should do and I have and I will listen to them if I if I think that they're right but a lot of it is like me just kind of being like a lone wolf in life and in martial arts a little bit and me just figuring stuff out myself so do you think that's because well obviously nobody knows you better than you and you're absorbing all these techniques from all these different people and all these strategies from these different coaches but ultimately it's up to you to execute with your mind and your body and so you've just decided the best way to do that is to absorb all this information, but even maybe more important, do it yourself. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, what's the Bruce Lee quote? It's like, uh, accept what's useful, discard what's not useful, and then make it your own or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, that's like martial arts, you know? Like, yeah. That's what Christian taught me from when I first started when I was 17 years old. And... Uh, and I think it's the way to do it, man. Like, I, I really do. Like, I, I when I think about other sports and how they compare, I don't think, like, like at the very highest level, when I watch interviews of, like, Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan or, like, uh, Tom Brady and all of those guys, those guys are interacting with their coaches much differently than a lot of the other players and coaches will interact with, 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 with each other, where it's not... Um, the coach isn't telling the, the player what to do. The coach and the player are interacting, I think, when you get to a certain level. Uh, and me and my coaches kind of, sometimes we'll get into it. You know, like I'll be like, hey man, like, I don't think that that's like a reliable way to go about doing things because I think building, like I use the word reliable a lot, like when I'm coaching people because you don't want, you don't want tricks. You know, like tricks are okay. You want things that are reliable. And, uh, so that's like what I shoot for when I'm trying to like learn techniques and learn different things is it's like, is this reliable or is this kind of like a tricky thing that like will sometimes work? Uh, and I always shoot for reliable. Um, so I'll get into it with my coaches sometimes like, hey, Banks, like, I don't know if that's that reliable. Can you, you know? give me an example of something that's sure, not that reliable? Sure, sure. Uh, let's say like a, like a low single, you know, or like a... Uh, um, I think it, I think honestly it happens a lot more in striking because I think that because there's because people really don't understand the inner workings of how striking works, people want to use tricks and tricks will work a lot until you get someone that like catches on to your shit. So like I think like let's say just for example in striking like uh, any combination really like that's kind of more it's not a trick but it's a it's a set thing where things have to go really right in order for it to work 100% of the time. Um, and I don't really think that that's the approach that you should take in striking. I think that the approach to striking should be reliable things. It should address space, it should address position, and it should like address angles. And like those are like the three 
areas of striking and the inner workings of striking that don't really get talked about because a lot of it is taught in uh, in a very tricky way because tricks are very digestible for people um, where the inner workings of things are very like conceptual and hard to understand what do you think when you say that most people don't understand striking like what do you mean by that okay so I think that there's uh, there's things that are happening in striking matches that are, like I said, not very digestible. So like I said, so there's space, there's position, and then there's your advantages. Space is, is like, a, and, and I hear people talk about like rhythm all the time, you know. Rhythm is just closing space, going away from space. Closing space, going away from space. Space is key because striking happens with your eyes. Striking is like we're playing this game like, hey, hit my hand and I'm moving it around. You know, that's like why switching stances work so well and we can get into that in a little bit, but space is your reaction time because striking happens with your eyes. Instead of grappling, like if someone's leaning into me, I, I have like the proprioception to feel they're leaning into me, let me move like this. It doesn't happen with your eyes. In striking, it happens with your eyes. I see your punches come in, I know to block. So the more space I have and the better I can maintain and control space or manipulate space by closing it quickly or, or using it at the same time you close, I close, where I could be twice as fast, um, the, more, the more success I'm, I'm going to have. Um, uh, so, for example, like um, I, I, I just don't think that people are understanding space in a way where it's like it is your like reaction time. So if you get closer to, like if you're standing over there and I'm standing here, it's not scary if you throw a punch at me because I have plenty of time to react to that punch. Where if me and you are standing right next to each other, that's like super scary no matter who you are, you know? Um, so space is reaction time. And I really don't think that a lot of people see space like that. They see space like, oh yeah, like you're at the end of my jab. That's when I can hit you. Everything is about like, can I hit you? This and that. Uh, where like the defensive piece of... Striking isn't really harped on as much because, again, it's, like, not as digestible. Um, and then there's, of course, like, position, like, my position and then your position. My position according to your position. So, like, lefty, righty, righty, lefty, 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 righty, righty. Um, and all of that is important because if you are in a different stance than I am, the targets change. Like, what you throw is different than... Like, like the attacks that you'll have are very different than the ones that we would have if we we're in the same stance, if we're in the opposite stance. I don't think that people necessarily pick up on those things, too. I don't think people super understand position as, like, my guard. Like, where am I open if I stand like this? And where am I open if I stand like this? Um, the advantages, like being a little bit outside your shoulders on each side so that I can take angles a little bit easier. If I'm standing over here, I know you're going to correct yourself here, so I'm going to step here. You're going to correct, I'm going to step here, and then eventually I'll be able to build off of attacks. But that to me is what striking is. Striking is in, it, it's a positional battle, and it's a battle for space. And it's not like combinations, and it's not set things. Not set things, yeah. Mm -hmm. So what your your style is very uh, stance switch dependent. You you mean you you do that as good as anybody alive, and it's such a valuable asset. And it's more fighters are embracing that now than ever before. But there's something about that 
if you if you're accustomed like if you're accustomed to standing southpaw or you're accustomed to standing orthodox and you're accustomed to facing fighters that are southpaw or orthodox you get like used to attacks coming from different places but when you're doing it you're you're mixing shit up so much that you can see this overwhelming thing that's happening to the opponent you could see like like one of the things Cheeto said he ne he couldn't get started but, but the reason why he couldn't get started, in my opinion, he's a great fighter, but it was you. It's mm -hmm. because you were constantly feeding him with reads and information, and it, it was never-ending. Mm -hmm. So there was no break where he gets to find his openings, no break where he gets to initiate. It was just overwhelming. Yeah, super overwhelming. That that That's what that can do, uh, because like I said, you read it with your eyes. So if I'm switching my stance all the time, the target is changing all the time. Like if, if you're in a righty stance and I'm in a righty stance also, the targets are different. Like your right kick is going to land on my outs the outside of my leg. If I switch lefty, it's going to kick to the inside of my leg. I know that you know this, but um, if I'm constantly switching those targets all the time, it makes for a hell of a... A, a hell of a time for you, you know, and I, I started switching really really early uh, I used to really like watching Nenito Denaire, mm. uh the boxer like, yeah. and he's he kind of switches a lot like a lot of his steps are switches I used to love watching Nenito Denaire. I thought it was super creative and uh, all, all, Like switching stances now at this point. I think in m martial arts is almost like a non-negotiable Like right. you, you you have to be able to do it um but it just changes the target. It changes my weapons like so much where like if you can't keep up, it's just going to like fry your brain. Mm. And I felt that with Cheeto, you know, I, I felt like uh, anytime he started to understand my movements, I would just change or I would start level changing or I would start doing something different so that he couldn't get an opportunity to be like, that's what I need to do. Because then I would just change it, and then he'd have to figure out something else. One of the things that was fascinating about that fight to me is that it's so obvious that even though you have physical skills and he has physical still skills, it was your mind. It was strategy, and it was execution. There was, there was a lot going on there that was important to you winning that fight. And it wasn't just your physical ability. It was, it was really like... The best example of what I love about MMA, which is that it's high-level problem-solving, and you were creating all these problems, and he didn't have answers to some of them, and you had answers to his problems. And that's a mental game, and that, that's, to me, what's so fascinating about fighting, and for the, that people don't understand from the outside that are just casual fans, is like, this is a complex interaction between two people that move very fast, and any error that you make one way or another, running into a right hand, running into a knee, running into this, and, and you're really good at setting people up for that, like the Frankie fight's a great example of that. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is what's exciting about MMA. And so when I see a guy like you that I clearly see, like, oh, this motherfucker's on another level. Mm -hmm. Like, you hit something. Like, whatever it is, like, where you're talking about this mindset change or... It's just this stacking upon skills and layers and experience till you get to this championship form. When there's there's a really exciting time when a fighter comes into that championship form, and that's what I saw in that fight. I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know what it is either. I, I think that I've definitely uh, just matured matured a lot as a fighter. I think that that's like a big piece of it too. 
Uh, I took a lot of pressure off my shoulders. I'm like a phenomenal learner, to be honest. Like if I do to- toot my own horn, I think that that's something that I'm really good at. Is that because you're open? Because you're obsessed? Is it because I'm obsessed? I'm very yeah. thoughtful. Um, I-, I don't think I'm a smart guy. Like uh, I think that I read a lot of books, so I speak kind of okay. And then, uh, but I'm not smart. Like uh, they in first grade, they used to take me to another room to like learn how to read. You know, <laughs> I used to have to like ask my mom, like, hey, like, why do I read it, like different books than the other kids? You know. <laughs> Uh, so I'm not a smart guy. Like I, I, I never did good in school. Um, but I'm thoughtful and, uh, you could use the word obsessed too, but I think I'm incredibly thoughtful about the way that I'm going about doing things like in life, in fighting. I try to be super, super intentional. I try, like I make notes every Monday and Saturday. I make notes on Monday. I make notes of the things that I'm working on. Uh, you know, like a to-do list, like sometimes how I'm doing all of that stuff. But I'm super organized in the way that I'm like trying to learn and the things that I'm trying to like progress in, whether they're technical things, uh, mental things or whatever. And then I recap all of those things on Saturday, made sure that I did them. And then I wrote down, I write down what worked, what didn't work, what I need to continue to drill, what I, what I should pull back on because I don't think it's really worth the time because there are so many techniques and some things just aren't worth the time uh, at, at certain points, you know, so... Uh, I'm super thoughtful. I'm super organized. And I think that that's like probably one thing that separates me is because I like uh, everyone wants it kind of the same. Everyone's a really good athlete. Everyone works really hard physically. Um, but like there's got to be some X factors like it has to be everything if you if you really want to like be a world champ like I say that I want to be. When did you start doing this note taking thing? Uh, d- uh Probably seven or eight years ago. Um, seven or eight years ago is when I started working with my sports psychologist. Uh, he kind of turned me on to it. I also used to train a lot with Dwayne, too, and Dwayne would, like, always be writing stuff down. Dwayne Ludwig. He's obsessed. Yeah, yeah Dwayne's super obsessed, too. That uh, guy's an amazing coach. Yeah. He really is. It's mm-hmm. it's When you look at his system, when he's got his, his bang Muay Thai system, and he, he brought out his notebook, and he showed me all this, I'm like, Jesus Christ, who the fuck does this? Yeah. When you look at all of his combinations and what sets what up and the way he has it, like, I was very impressed with that. It, that that's like the thoughtfulness that I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, like, uh, that's like just a different level of caring and like a different way of showing that you care is just like, like, I do that too. You know, like, I, I write down like how striking works. Uh I'm hopefully going to be filming some instructionals pretty soon. So I've really been like spending hours and hours and hours writing down like how I think striking actually works outside of the way that it's being taught now. Hmm. So when you are in the process of a camp, when you set out a camp and you, you're doing this 10 week program, do, do you have everything planned out like more, from the moment the camp starts? More or less. And is it mostly you that's planning everything out? Yes. Um, really? Yeah. Uh, that's like me being the quarterback. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, I take full responsibility for everything that I do in life. You know, like uh, if if I'm not getting takedowns, it's not my wrestling coach's fault. It's my own fault because I, I know I'm being taught correct things. Um, I've surrounded myself with good people that are teaching me the right things. So I, I don't ever worry about like not being taught the right things. If If I don't get good at something... I like almost feel pathetic because I'm like, man, this guy's uh, like with the wrestling, uh, like if Banks has to tell me something week by week by week, I start to feel like pathetic. I'm like, Mm. why am I not getting better at this? You know, 
Um, so I take responsibility for every single thing. That way there's no one for me to blame except for myself if I lose. Um, and that's another thing that I don't know that a lot of people are doing too. That also causes me to like get into it with some people sometimes too, which is fine also, you know, because they know I love them and they know, and I know that they love me. So it's not really like a big deal when we do get into it, but I, I write down, yeah, week by week what I'm doing, what my Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday looks like when I'm doing my visualizations. Uh, I, I incorporate like a decent amount of self-hypnosis type things that I like doing too. Uh, I, I write down when I'm doing that. I write down when I'm flying training partners in, when I'm going out to Virginia to train with Ryan. Um, yeah, pretty. it's pretty much like to the to the T written out. When you say self-hypnosis, like what, what are you doing there? Uh, they're like, um, so a lot of them, so this dude Michael Seeley on YouTube does them. Uh, they're just like 50 to like an hour and 15 minute uh, hypnosis is where they like calm you down for like the first 15, 20 minutes. They try to get you super present. And then I enjoy, there's all different kinds of them, but I like, in, I, I enjoy doing the ones where um, they like almost walk you through like, finding your spirit animal or like uh going on astral travel or something like this I, th I think that there's a lot of substance to getting to a really calm place and then letting your imagination kind of like feed you what's kind of going on deeper inside of you um and uh i do a decent amount of those which sounds a little bit funky and a little bit weird but i've had some super intense uh experiences by just literally laying there, put my headphones in and listening to this dude talk on YouTube. Well, I'd imagine that's, I feel like when you're at your level, and one of the things that's exciting about what's going on right now in the Bantamweight division is that there's so much talent. Mm -hmm. It might be the most talent-stacked division in the UFC. It's hard to say because 55 is great, 45 is great. There's a lot of amazing divisions. But for my money, I think 35 might be the motherfucker because... There's just so many guys. There's Marab, there's Pyotr, there's Marlon, there's you, there's Aljamain, there's Sohudo's in there now, and there's all these guys coming up, too, that are super high-level. Chris Gutierrez, there's, there's some fucking killers. And everyone recognizes that the level is so high in that division, and they see a fight like your fight with Marlon or Marab's fight with Pyotr, and you, it's like, Jesus Christ, man. If you want to compete in that division, you got to have everything right you have to dot your i's and cross your t's you got to get that fucking exact amount of rep you got to do everything hell yeah everything yeah this is just the most insane pressure cooker that i think any division has ever had because i feel like there's like eight world champions competing for the number one spot any one of these guys could be a world champion any one of these guys and in another time period would be a world champion but because of what's happening in MMA right now, because the skill sets are so high and the talent level is so high that everyone's recognizing that and you're seeing these fucking insane breakthrough performances like every time from these guys, like Marab versus Piotr, like you versus Marlon, these breakthrough performances are just like where everybody else is like, God damn, got to go back to work because it's just so pressure intensive. I know it's it's actually really awesome uh like I, I reflect on that sometimes where I'm like damn man like you're in the hottest division in the biggest organization in like the most badass sport right now yeah and, and that's fucking cool man like uh 
when I reflect on that, it's awesome. And, and it also is like, it, it's literally going to bring out, it has to bring out the best in me for the next rest of my career. Like it's absolutely has to, like, it's not one of those divisions where it's like, I'm going to beat that guy. I'm going to beat that guy. And like literally all the way up and like past the outside the top 15, I'm like, man, if you're not on your P's and Q's and you're not working your ass off, like you were a 21 year old kid, you're going to be fucked. And I, and, and so like, uh, that, I, I wouldn't have it any other way, man. Like that's what's gonna bring out the best in me, and I'm like super, just grateful that I get to be a part of it while it's actually happening. It's kind of like feels surreal that that's the scenario. That's it's awesome. It it's is. awesome that you're embracing it like that because it's awesome for me as a fan to watch this happen because I think it's very unique. I think it's very special. It's like you remember back in like uh, there's a Showtime documentary on the golden age of like when Hagler was fighting Leonard and and Hearns was fighting Duran and Duran was fighting Hagler and th these guys they all fed off of each other but it was only a few of them mm. like the UFC right now it's a goddamn carnival mm -hmm. I mean there's there's a fucking massive crowd of assassins that are all competing and you'll see these new bantamweights that come into the UFC. And, you know, they might have 16, 17 fights outside the organization, and then you'll see them in their debut, you're like, Jesus Christ, this guy's world-class. World-class already, first fight in the UFC. I mean, that, that to me is so exciting because this sport is the only sport that you could really name that if you go back to 1993 and you look at it from 2023, you're looking at a massive evolution in the mm -hmm. game massive massive I mean not even comparable there's not a single person from 1993 that looks like they're a world champion in 2023 but if you go back to 1993 in boxing you got a lot of world champions you got Oscar de la Hoya Julio Cesar Chavez you got fucking assassins who can compete in any division or in any rather uh, era at any time in boxing you don't have that in the UFC you have this complete new kind of thing that's emerging and evolving and it, it you're seeing these top performers that are just reaching total new heights yeah it's it's cool it's like uh it's in like that period of like history where uh so i'm sure that all the sports went through this but like wrestling is pretty standard you know, like uh, there, there's certain things that work really, really well. And of course, like people go outside the box sometimes, but there's like a proven system of like what works where I feel like in MMA, we're not at that point yet. You know, like we're mm. kind of like we're all in this like discovery, like yeah. who's going to figure out how to make this thing work the best. You know, like that's mm -hmm. almost what I feel like the race is right now. Yeah. Where the race is like. Like I said, man, everyone works hard. Everyone's pretty athletic, you know, like everyone kind of has like their little quirks and like the ways that they do things or whatever. But who's going to figure out how to be like the best system of MMA? Because every other sport I feel like has done that. That's like why most soccer games look like all the other soccer games. Yeah. But in fighting, not all the fights look like the same fights. And I think that that's just because it's in this like realm of just full-blown creativity which mm. is because we're just trying to figure out like who's gonna get the best system first you know yeah. it's pretty fun it really is fun it's so fun to watch and th i think that's really important what you just said is creativity because that's a, a big part of this overwhelming style that you have is that it's creative is that you're you're doing things that are unexpected but standard like you're doing punches, kicks, takedowns, but unexpected. So you're finding a way 
to deliver these things inside of these spaces and movements and stance switches. It's fucking wild to see, man. And it's just, it's so exciting to witness this growth of this, what I think is the greatest sport that's ever existed, and to watch it blossom and bloom and become what it is now. It totally is, man. Like, uh, fighting's the best sport in the world, man. There's nothing, in my opinion, there's no other sport that's more inspiring either. Like, uh, it's one, like, fighting's entertaining as hell. But, like, how inspiring is it when you watch, like, a guy like Volk go fight Islam up a weight yeah. class? You know, like, how inspiring is that? Sometimes I wonder if that's just me, but I don't really think it is, man. Oh. I, th- I think it inspires the world. That's a Rocky movie. Yeah, seriously, yeah. man. Like, uh, Israel taking on Perea this yeah. week. Like, how inspiring, man. Like, the guy's lost to him three times, and he's, like, he knows, man. Like, he knows that if he loses again, like, he's probably not going to fight for a title for a little bit. Yeah. That shit's inspiring, dude. Like, how high can how how much higher can the stakes get? Can't get get any higher. Have no. you been watching his training footage? Uh, I've been watching some of the embedded. He's got uh, his own channel. Um, I think it's called Freestyle Bender, mm. and he puts up all these videos of all the shit that they're doing. And this motherfucker is going so hard. Yeah, he's going so like you could see he's just broken at the end of some of these sets and training sessions. It's just. He's going as hard as he possibly can with this mindset that there's there's a way to conquer this guy. There's a way to beat this guy. And I'm so fucking pumped. I, I can't imagine. Can't, it's two fucking days away, man. I know. It's two are you going to call away. it? Hell yeah. Oh, you are? Nice. I can't wait. Lucky. I know. I, I thought about going, and then I, but I'm gone too many weekends. But, man, I can't wait. I can't wait. And Masvidal and Burns. I kind of want to see who wins that fight, too. That's a very interesting fight. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see if Masvidal can handle the Burns' takedowns and Burns' aggression. It's just, where's Masvidal in his career? You know, I mean, he looked great in fights in the past but then you know you see the fight with Kamaro he gets KO'd and then he loses the fight to Colby he gets overwhelmed like where's he at right now mm-hmm. he's older I think he, did he say he's 38 37 or 38 you know at a certain point in time you can't do it anymore the same way that's and, what he was saying too yeah. right he was saying if he loses this will probably be his last one yeah Dude, did you used to watch all of those videos of, like, the street fights before kind of... Dude, that, yeah. that when I was thinking, because I get asked, you know, sometimes, like, hey, how'd you get into MMA? I don't ever have, like, an interesting story, you know? I'm like, well, I used to watch Kimbo knock people's eyeballs out in backyards. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that video, yes, dude? Yes. Holy shit, that was crazy. Yeah, that was crazy. They were, like, fighting near a satellite dish. There's yeah. all sorts of stuff in the backyard. They're going to move around <laughs> Just things. Seriously. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I remember there was like a stint in my like teenage years where I just would watch World Star Hip Hop. Like, did do, do, do you ever get on World Star Hip Hop? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Where it would just be like fight compilations, mm-hmm. and I would just watch for like forty minutes, just like people beat the shit out of each other on the streets, and I thought it was so <laughs> awesome. That's like what got me into fighting. That's I was crazy. like, oh yeah, I want to fuck some people up like that. That looks cool. It's funny that that got you in, but your style is so intelligent. Yeah, it's like yeah. your style is like high level chess, but that's just madness. Just yeah, chaos and. I mean, I think every teenage. I mean, the fantasy I think for most dudes that don't fight is they just want to like you know like be tough. Like yeah. every everyone wants to be like tough, you know, and uh, fighting is the best way to be tough. And uh, when I was like younger and just watching that, it was like fuck yeah, I want to be like so tough and like kill people the way that those people do and you know what's fucked that most people don't understand is 
the amount of work that's involved just to get your body physically prepared to be able to fight for 25 minutes is so taxing to the mind. It's so g grueling for your, your, just everything gets tested. Your ambitions get tested, your will, your fortitude, your commitment, your distractions, your self-hate and loathing, your self-love, your ego, everything gets tested. I can't think of another sport where people go in and probably worry or have to like be super concerned about how tired they're going to get. Like, can you? Like, right. I, like no. I, I, I like think about like basketball, football, you know, like other sports, there's always substitutes. Mm -hmm. Like that's like a major demon to conquer on your way up in MMA is like, how do I not be scared of getting tired as hell? Because right. it's the most tiring shit in the world, especially when you're coming up and like you're nervous and fights and you don't really know what you're doing. Your technique isn't as good. And I don't, I can't think of another sport where they really, where you have to go in and be like, man, if I get tired, I'm gonna get my ass kicked. Like yeah. literally get my ass kicked. That's like another thing that makes MMA cool. It, it is. And that mental battle and wondering whether or not you've done enough in camp. Because mm -hmm. there's some guys, there's some guys that are very, very talented, but they they're not very disciplined. Mm. And those guys, you could always see that moment where the other guy is in shape, and they start to doubt and start to think about maybe I ate too many donuts, maybe I slept in, missed a few training sessions that I could have gone to, and now I don't have the gas tank, and this guy's coming after me. Yeah, that's a horrible spot to be in. It's a horrible spot to be in. Yeah. And th there's another thing about MMA is the management of your energy in a fight and this these calculated maneuvers of when to burst and when to take your foot off the gas and when when to know like have an understanding of your body like what it's capable of at any given moment and it's one of the things that drives me nuts about bad refereeing like say if someone has a, a big burst for and shoots for a takedown massive struggle gets it to the ground and then is trying to intelligently move to a place where they could do damage but the other person is defending well and then the referee interferes and stands them up i'm like jesus fucking christ do you know how hard it is to get someone to the ground and if that person is having a hard time on the bottom they should probably get up figure out how to get up but for you to just the booze of the casuals and and you're like come on stand them up stand them up and you just interfere in a Seriously. fight, it drives me nuts. I, I, I can't. I, I don't really think that they fully understand what it's like from like a fighter's point of view to be like, finally, I got this motherfucker down. Right. And then like, to have him stand back up, and then you got to do the shit again. Yeah. And on top of that, maybe you know you empty the gas tank a little bit mm -hmm. doing that, and this guy's fresh, and then you get kicked. Yeah. You know, and then all fucking your now your legs compromised. Now you're switching stances. And now you're trying to relax, but now this guy's turning it on. Now you have to eat up the gas that you were trying to conserve, and now, now you're moving. Or it's unnatural. It's like you there was an unnatural intervention in the exchange, and that was a referee. I know. I uh, I always think about like uh, how. Because everyone talks about the judging and all that. I always wonder how that could actually be, like, again, like, reliably fixed to where it's not, we're not just, like, guessing or we're not, you know, like, and it seems, like, super hard. But I don't, I don't, I think that the problem isn't with the criteria as much as it is with the, uh, the actual rules. Like, I, I almost feel like, like, say you work real hard, you get a takedown, and there's three minutes left on the clock, 
And then there's just so much uh, ambiguity as to like how much is enough damage. That right. like there's so much ambiguity happening that unfortunately, because it'll mess up some other things, I almost feel like you have to add in rules where like, uh, okay, so. I get stood up if I can make it so that this guy can't punch me for 30 seconds or whatever amount of time it is or something. But I almost feel like those types of problems only will get solved by rules. They, they won't get solved by uh, this like ambiguity where like the ref can kind of make whatever decision and each ref is different and each crowd is different and they're just making a bunch of decisions. So I think that someone, not me, should sit down and really think about, you know, making it really clear and really straightforward about like the rules so that that kind of stuff doesn't happen anymore yeah i think in that sense that it is too subjective it's too subjective and too many referees have different ideas of what's acceptable and also you can see referees reacting to the crowd you've yeah. seen we, we all see that i think that's ridiculous that shouldn't that should never judges too yes for sure there's a lot of bad judging jesus christ some of these decisions lately where you know they they like who gave marlin the fight uh, I, I don't know. Somebody gave Marlon the fight. Yeah, yeah, okay, I know. That's fucking insane. I, I want know. you to imagine if there's three people who gave Marlon that fight. I know. What and if how... one? What if one other dude fucked up that night? Because that guy obviously yeah. fucked up. But imagine if it was someone else, and I like went home a loser, like scratching my head, like insane, insane, insane. Yeah, of that's one pretty of scary. The best performances of your career in a fight where everybody who watched thought you won. Everybody, like the the idea of giving that to Marlon, and I'm a Marlon fan. He didn't win that fight. You mm -hmm. won that fight. It's clear. So whoever the fuck that judge is, you're not doing that anymore. Like you, you can ruin careers. You could take away win bonuses. You know. Yeah, they they need a universal. Uh, they need a universal commission. Yes. Like I, I really think that that should because I I almost wonder like why the UFC hasn't done it yet because it, if I was the UFC it would be in my best interest to make sure that everyone's on the same page so that. Uh, someone doesn't like mess something up like because so, that fight very well if one other person got it wrong just one other person I could have lost and then like that would have changed a lot of stuff man because I it, it just would have you know like yeah. people care about wins and losses I, I almost feel like they're you know someone should look into making a universal commission so that the rules are laid out clear we have 10 judges that we use at this time, the judges are completely 100% on the same page about what's winning, what's not winning. That way all of the fighters know that because right now it's just commissions from different states just deciding on whatever rules they want to do. And I, I really think that like step one is universal commission. I think there's another step that needs to be taken and that's a, an abandonment of the 10 point must system. Mm. I think that system mm. is not our system. Mm. That system is a system that's applicable to boxing and it works great with boxing. You're, you're dealing with uh, two weapons. You have just punches. You have a bunch of different ways to apply those punches, but you have a left hand and a right hand. That's it. Mm -hmm. There's so many more things going on in MMA. It's exponential. There's, there's, there's takedowns. There's submissions. There's ground control. There's being able to dictate the pace. There's so much that happens in MMA that doesn't happen in boxing because of all the, the different skill sets and the different weapons and how they get applied and what's more what's more valuable than the other thing it, I think it should be a very comprehensive system and I think there should be way more than three judges I think 
I think there's a real good argument to have like something like 10 judges mm. and have because like an experts I mean guys like yeah I mean if you can get I don't know for us a hobby would do it but like that level mm -hmm. of expert you know the the guys like safe Saud these fucking world-class coaches and and trainers have guys like that judge fights yeah you'll get a real solid understanding and if you have 10 of those 99.9% of the time you're gonna get the right winner but yep. if you have three and No disrespect, but some of these people just shouldn't be judging if, if someone judged Marlon winning over you they should not be judging a, an MMA fight because they either they're not paying attention Maybe they're on drugs, but they definitely didn't see what I saw so it doesn't make any sense to me sure. even with the 10-point must system mm -hmm. which is a fucked up system, but if we had a system that tallied like like all the different takedown attempts all of the different strikes all and it was a point system So instead of like 10 9 you're dealing with like 162 versus 120 mm. the next round like 195 versus 170 mm. and you look at it in that way where you could tally it up at the end sure and look at it I also think there's something that pride had that uh, we really should take into consideration that you judge the fight as a whole mm -hmm. and that the last parts of the fight are probably the most important parts mm. like when you saw Volkanovsky on top of Islam at the end of the fight pounded on him that is fucking gigantic that matters that matters because if mm -hmm. this is a schoolyard the schoolyard analogy the teachers come and break it up and <laughs> you're on top you fucking won yeah no one's gonna say Islam won that fight we got him no you didn't yeah no the teachers stopped the fight with Volkanovsky on top you punched you in the face yeah he won that fight it's a great point everybody who saw that at the end was like Volk got him yeah that's a great point I, I even look back to Gaethje and Fazeev's fight mm -hmm. like mega close fight but the judges got it right, but Gaethje at the end was definitely going to be the guy that, if that went another 10 minutes, Gaethje was winning that fight. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's interesting. That's actually, yeah, that's actually a really good idea, I think. Yeah. Like, uh, like why not make takedowns points? Yes. Like how they do in wrestling. Right. And then why not make it almost the same as collegiate wrestling, where if you get up, that's a point too. Right. Some Calf kicks are a point. This is a point. Mm -hmm. And all of it gets tallied up. And so it's significant, you know, there's that, that thing significant strikes, which is kind of interesting, but sometimes significant strikes are body punches when you're on the ground, mm -hmm. which we both know are not as significant as like a, a, like a, a front kick to the gut mm -hmm. when you're standing up. It's got more power to it. So what is significant strikes? Mm -hmm. Maybe significant kicks versus significant punches. Maybe some kicks are m worth more, like a head kick is worth more. You know, a calf kick, when you see damage, when you see someone limp, that's worth more. Like, how many points is that worth? Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. Um, yeah, I almost feel like that's, pr I mean, it's probably the same process that, there the same thought process that Taekwondo went through when they were, like, creating the rules for their sport, too, right? Like, I could see how potentially there would be maybe some issues with, like, you know, like, people just touching, you know? Yeah. But, but even then, like... I mean, you can't ever really tell how hard someone's hitting ever. No. You know, like uh, even a guy like Perea, I was watching some of his like highlights and stuff earlier this week. The way he punches people, it doesn't like they come from here and they don't like they don't like look like this. Right. But when he hits someone, bro, their head snaps back. Yeah. Like uh, it's definitely so you can never really tell, I guess, how hard it's it, those types of things you, you can't. It, it it would be super hard to like judge from a subjective point, but I definitely agree with you that there needs to be like clear set like 
this is worth more than this. This is worth more than this. Like if I get a takedown, but I've been beating you up for a minute and you get a takedown on me, actually, like what, what's the balance there so that I don't have to fucking guess while I'm in the middle of like trying to like beat this guy up. Yeah. I think a a larger number, Mm, I don't think 10, nine, I don't think 10, nine makes any sense to me. It's just too much room for interpretation too much room for subjectivity i think we should de- we should have some really large number that's that seems what, it's just such a different sport mm-hmm. than boxing 109 makes sense in boxing 1080 got a knockdown makes sense mm-hmm. it does not make sense in mma cuz yeah. like so you'll see guys get knocked down and win the round yeah you know it's like well how hurt was he on that knockdown and what should that count for mm-hmm. you know we don't count knockdowns in the same way that boxing counts knockdowns where you like if, mm-hmm. if you're watching like Caleb Plant and Benavidez if Benavidez knocks Caleb Plant down you know that's a 10-8 round yeah we everybody knows oh he's got a 10-8 round mm-hmm. he won that round that is not the case in bo- in MMA where there's a clear-cut thing that you could point to and say you know there's so many fights that are so goddamn close like Sugar Sean and Piotr Jan, perfect mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus Christ, that was a close fight. Yeah. Why? And you got to like really look at it to try to figure out who won. I think they got it right, but when I first saw it, I thought they got it wrong mm. because I was I first saw it. And Piotr was on top at the end of it. I was like, I think he got it. And like, oh wow, he won. Hmm. But I was eating. I was a uh, backstage yeah, yeah, yeah. at a green room after a comedy show, hanging out with friends. But watching it. Alone, I was like, okay, that is a complex fight where it's close, but I think they got it right. I do too. I think there should be a complete overhaul of the of the scoring system, and I think they should have some sort of a conference where they get together with experts and world class referees and judges and trainers and fighters, and everybody has input. Do it at like that UFC Fighter Week thing that they do in July, mm-hmm. and have a fucking conference where they literally sit down and try to remap the way we score fights. Because yeah. there's no reason to keep scoring them this way. No one's holding a gun to our mm-hmm. head. No one's making this 10-9 thing. We just adopted it because when we wanted to be sanctioned in the initial part of it, you had, you had to get through the athletic commissions, sure. Nevada State Athletic Commission being the best, and all these other ones you know, being secondary. But they, they had a system that was already in place, so we took that system from boxing, and we applied it to MMA. I agree with you. Yeah, they, I mean, they got to do something, dude, or else it's just, it's literally going to happen like every single month. Yeah. And people are going to be upset about it, and it's going to be a topic of conversation until it gets fixed. Yeah, there's just been so many fights recently. The Angela Lee-Macy Barber fight, there's been a mm. bunch of these fights where you just, you watch it after, you're like, what, did, what the fuck did they watch? I watched that fight in the back a little bit. Yeah. Because uh, that was the same night that I fought Cheeto. And yeah. I remember in my head, I was like, oh, well, you better fucking win this fight by, yeah. a, by a margin, <laughs> you know? I know, right? Yeah, yeah. That was crazy. I, that, I know. That decision was nuts. Like, yeah. I couldn't, I, I just couldn't understand it. There's a lot of those lately. And I don't know what the fuck is going on. But I, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck is going on either. <laughs> like, I mean, I hate to keep bringing this up, but the fucking Cheeto. Cheeto getting a, a, a one judge calling that fight over you. How? How? Yeah. How? I think I might have an idea. I uh, so I, I mm, so that guy was judging or refing a fight of my guys along like maybe like four years ago. Uh, my guy was in a uh, my guy was in a rear naked choke, but it wasn't like sunken in. His angle was right, so it was like you know it, it wasn't in. We're yelling at the guy like. Hey, don't stop it, don't stop it, don't stop it. Uh, the guy stops it, 
And then, you know, like, I'm like, hey, man, like, you really screwed that one up. And, like, maybe I didn't say it that nice, but that same ref was the judge that scored it for Cheeto. Uh, so I don't think he, like, liked me that much, maybe. <laughs> That's all speculation, of course, but... Well, so that good. makes a lot of sense. Might make some sense. That's the only thing that makes sense. I, I, and I don't really mean to throw that guy under the bus because I actually only really realized this like a few days ago when, when I looked up what the guy looked like. And I was like, oh, that's, uh, the, that's the guy that I kind of bitched out for like fucking up four years ago, you know? Um, and it would definitely, it wasn't like the best interaction with that guy, <laughs> you know? But yeah. I, I don't want to shit on the guy because the guy's already getting so much heat as it is. Well, but he should get heat for that. Might have something to do with it. That might have something to do with it. And that's the unfortunate aspect of subjectivity, of, of people having their own opinions about things and going into a fight, judging a fight in a biased way. Yeah. Yeah, it's not good. I also think, you know, there's a... Have you seen Verdict? Verdict MMA? That's mm -hmm. uh, It's an app and people score from home. Oh, I have seen that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not sure how it works. But they seem to get it right most of the time. That would be funny if we just had the fans vote. <laughs> It'd be like well, some gladiator shit. <laughs> I'm not saying we should, but that would be kind of funny. Problem is when Connor fights, the the fucking Irish people <laughs> would hack the servers. Yeah, and, totally. You know, it would like, just it would just be about whose country has the most population. Yes, and who's <laughs> the most popular person. You know, because if you have casuals that don't really truly understand what's going on, they're judging it. I don't I don't know if that's the best idea. But maybe if you have someone who's verified. Like, you know, you got these guys that are either, either former fighters or like hardcore fans, practitioners, people who really understand martial arts, trainers, and maybe you get verified, just like you get verified on Twitter for being Corey Sanhagen, maybe you get verified as being a verified judge. Mm. And so you can participate. Yeah. Some people would love that. It's not a bad idea. And yeah, yeah. At least we should have a secondary score Something. that doesn't count. Like we could say, how do the people at home feel? How do the verified, uh, you know, uh, either athletes or trainers or how do these people who we say, this guy understands MMA and he gets to vote and there's like 5,000 of them. What do they think? Yeah. And I mean, then you look at like 99% think Corey won. Yeah. I mean, that's statistics, right? Yes. Like the larger uh, population size that you have, the more right you're going to make it. Right. Which is why you would never do like a drug test on three people. Mm. You know, you don't, they don't do pharmaceutical tests on three people. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's yeah, why yeah. when you have judges where there's three people judging a very important fight that easily could be for the number one contender position. How the fuck is that? How's that okay? That's not, that's not smart. It's not like judges are so fucking expensive that we can't <laughs> afford five of them or six of them. Like, yeah. Glory has five. Do they? Yeah. yeah. Is Glory still around? Glory's still around. Oh, nice. Yeah. They, I mean, they, they're not around the United States, unfortunately. You know, when they were doing, like, that, um, that fucking big tournament mm -hmm. in L.A., and, you know, they, have, they were on television in, in the U.S., I really had high hopes. Mm -hmm. that they I were did, gonna... too. <sighs> I was really hoping that they would do well because K1, like, in the 90s and the 2000s mm. was the most fucking awesome thing in the entire world the most fucking awesome it thing. was the most awesome thing like uh, i talked to some people now now that i'm like 30 and a little bit older some people like don't know what it is and i'm like look that up on youtube and watch every single k1 fight ever it's the most awesome thing in the world just show them an ernesto who's highlight reel seriously <sighs> andy sour oh my god yeah, yeah. Dude, andy I hug i mean there's so many guys fucking peter Ertz. 
dude. But Jerome LeBanner. I mean, they, they had some. Remy Bonjaski. They yeah. had some fucking fights, man. Dude. Whoa. Uh, you know what fight I was thinking of the other day is uh, Chahid versus Ambitas. Remember that? Oh yeah, dude! That fight, that fight has just like disappeared in history. But that was one of the most awesome, epic fights that's ever happened in history. Zambitas was a fucking animal. Yeah, he was awesome. He was awesome. What was he Australian? (sighs) I think so. Right, he was Mm. Greek. Was he from Australia? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You might be right. There it is, dude. This is the most. Oh man. Yeah, he's Greek. This fight was fucking bananas. (laughs) These guys got in each other's face. (laughs) From the moment the fight started, I mean, they just fucking went to war. Look Dude, at this. I'm so glad that I got to bring this up for people yeah. where they'll, like, you know, watch this shit because this is the most awesome fight in the entire world. The most world. awesome fight. Yeah. yeah. If I was running the UFC, and clearly I'm not, but if I was, <laughs> I would not be interested in slap fighting. I'd be interested in this. <laughs> yeah. This would be. Oh would, yeah, I yeah, say, totally. Why? If you guys want to do something else, yep. that's going to be big. How about have pro kickboxing? Yep. Because everybody loves high level kickboxing. Do it in the small gloves, yes. like one. Right, and it's or you could do it in these gloves, or, or but yeah. yeah, small gloves is fine. These gloves are way better than the glory ones too. Like the glory ones look bulky and like they 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 like guard the face too much. These mm. these look like these are like uh, so. Dwayne, let me put a pair of these on. Um, are these tens or eights? Dude, they might be eights, but but yeah. dude, it's your it like literally just covers what it needs to cover. Mm. They're they're essentially they feel like MMA gloves, mm. except yeah, without I think the fingers. Eight's the right number. Eight's the right number. It's so crazy that like heavyweights are using fours in MMA, right? But eight ounces, yeah, seem, that is like, crazy. That seems like the right number specifically for these guys, but. There's a lot of these guys out there in the world. Like Cedric Dumbe just got signed. For oh the yeah, UFC. I saw that. That's cool. Was, yeah, they almost had him sign a while back, which is it sucks because he lost like two years of his prime. Where you know he's he, he, for some reason it didn't work out and he didn't get in. But now finally that guy is in MMA and you're going to get to see just elite world class striking. That's awesome. And fucking conditioning. That guy came to my gym. He did my podcast, and he came to my gym in L.A., and, I, and they wanted to use the gym. And so uh, while, you know, after the, training, after the uh, podcast session, he did a training session. So cool. I got to watch the whole thing. They do some wild strength and conditioning shit. Oh, really? So much strength and conditioning. It's all sprints on the the, the treadmill, mm. you know, that self powering treadmill, and then run back over to the bag and it's da 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 and it's time go. And then he's doing another thing. He's doing plyos, doing all these different things. But it's just, mm. but that's why that guy's got this insane gas tank. Mm. When you watch Cedric Doom Bay fight, one of the things he does he melts people. Mm. He just keeps that. He's got crazy power, super intelligent, very creative. And inside there but also just melts people with that pace mm-hmm. he's been around for a while too right he has okay yeah because i was gonna say I, I haven't seen much of his fights recently but i know that he's been around for he's a, a comedian like a legit comedian he's a comedian in, oh. in france yeah. oh really yeah he's a funny, funny dude man oh that's cool there cedric dumbe shoots down reports of ufc deal oh no the rumors of cedric dumbe signing to the ufc cropped up after the fighter shared a cryptic post on social media because I, I know he was about to be signed at one point, so what the it fuck? hasn't happened yet, officially, is all. Oh, so he got a call from Dana White, and he, he sent a picture of it. Yeah, here's his okay. last tweet about it. He said okay. this. He's like, I, want, I know you want to see me at the UFC. I really want to make you love, but the choice offered <laughs> me is really not easy, and at 30, it will be the last choice of my life. Look how he spelled choice. Yeah. <laughs> it's French. Chol. That's <laughs> French. Is he spelling it it's in chois. French? That's what chois. it is. Chois. <laughs> this, this is my choix. 
Um, well, I, fuck, man. I hope they figure that out. Because when you get guys like Pajeda or get guys like Cedric Dumbe, you get to see elite striking. Yeah. And it's also you get to see this problem. Like with Pajeda, you saw it with the Adesanya fight. Doesn't really know what to do when guys are wrestling him. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was a big problem when Izzy got his back and he couldn't get out of that. It's like, wow, he was a very sluggish on the ground. There's like a marked difference between the fluidity and the efficiency that he has on his feet. And then when Adesanya got him on the ground, you could say, like, whoa. Because he's going to have a problem with, like, the Robert Whittakers of the world or the Marvin Vittori's, these big fucks that know how to wrestle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's. Uh, I think grappling is super interesting, or at least from, like, uh, the way that I've kind of learned things. Uh, and wrestling is because it's so proprioceptive that like you literally I don't feel like can get good at it until you clock all of those hours Mm. like that's like a really cool thing about I mean everything comes more natural to people of course like striking came really natural to me but I had I started everything at the same time but uh, jiu-jitsu was so proprioceptive that it like it it wasn't natural for me like I grew up playing basketball like everything is hand-eyed coordination you know moving your body uh but like wrestling and grappling, it's like uh, it's almost like when you you learn a different language, and you always have that accent. You know what I mean? Where it's yes. like, oh, that that guy didn't grow up doing that. Yeah. You know, because I can see by the way that he yeah. just does like really small nuancey things, and you can't get rid of it unless you just like clock hours and hours and hours of it. Like I that's, feel like striking's that way too, though. Don't uh, you? Yeah, I think for some people, and that's why I said maybe it's because just the way. That, like I just naturally picked up striking really easy too. But uh, I think yeah. for bulky guys. For mm. bulky guys, striking becomes a real problem. Yeah, because moving's a big deal. Yeah. And striking. it's also like guys who are used to grappling, they're used to moving their body in a very specific way. And then all of a sudden they got a snap and explosion. Yeah. It's like a different thing. Yeah. And a lot of them, like the big bulky guys, have a really hard time picking up fluid striking. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But if you like, you see a guy like Floyd Mayweather or something who started when he was a little kid, mm-hmm. my, my God, it's like a part of his, bl- it's like blinking. It's just like completely natural movement. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, because when I think about how I've, because I do think I've made some giant leaps in my wrestling game recently, the the reason I think it's happened is because Banks and I will just like hand fight and pummel for like 20, 30 minutes straight on a lot of days, like uh, like Wednesdays and Saturdays. We'll just do that because I really feel like I don't understand things until I can actually just like clock them hours and hours and hours because it can be the difference of, oh, my shoulder's here or my shoulder's here, Mm. like on someone's chest that like stops them from running me over. And like those things you just don't learn unless you just like clock the hours and hours and hours. Another thing that makes like MMA just so awesome and fascinating too is just there's things that you just can't skip without just clocking hours and hours and hours of it. There's no shortcuts. No. No, especially at the elite level. It's no. like you can't because everyone's talented, mm-hmm. everyone's motivated, everyone's driven, everyone's successful, everyone has experience. Yeah, it's just like what a pressure cooker. Seriously, Woo. it's good though, man. Because like, like I said, like I don't really have any other hobbies. Like I don't enjoy doing other things. So like, I'm like super capable of just like clocking hours and hours and hours because I don't like do other shit in life. That's good that you don't do other <laughs> shit because do you other wouldn't other have shit. time for it. Yeah, it's it's really it, it's the question with a lot of elite athletes in MMA is like how long can you maintain that intensity? Yeah, because it is a grind. It's a grind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in a nice place though because I kind of after that yawn fight, I took a year, got better. Was able to rest like my nervous system, you know, like when you're like 
want to fight over and over and over again, I feel like your nervous system never really gets to chill because it's like, yeah. all right, it's like thinking a couple months ahead, you know? Yeah. But my nervous system feels good right now. Like it's excited to think a couple months ahead now. That's great. Yeah. So the yawn fight you took on short notice, like how much time did you have? Five weeks. Five weeks. Yeah. So half time of mm -hmm. what you prefer. Mm -hmm. And what did you get out of that fight? Uh, I was super happy with the way that I did those five weeks. I was really happy about that. Um, that was the first time that I had actually gotten rocked to the point where like my like body wasn't listening to me. Uh, so that was super interesting. Um, what did you get hit with? Uh, fucking like a spinning back fist left hook. It's a pretty, it's, it was a pretty badass attack, but it happened in the last minute in the third round. And I feel like I was fighting fucking awesome. Round one, round two, four minutes into round three, got rocked. Stood up, was like, okay, went back to the corner. I don't really remember what happened in between the corner because I was so like, oh, shit, like I just got rocked. And for the first time ever in the fourth round, uh, my eyes weren't, or my legs weren't listening to what my eyes were seeing. So, like, I felt like I would see punches coming and my body just wouldn't get the fuck out of the way, mm. which was crazy. So I got my ass whooped in the fourth. And then when I went, uh, after the fourth, before the fifth, I remember taking this like deep breath and being like, oh, okay, like now I'm back to being myself. Mm. But then in the fifth, I kind of had to fight like a little bit compromised because I was like, well, fuck, if I get hit like that again, that could be like lights out, you know? Um, but that actually helped me a lot in the song fight because in the song fight, I got rocked pretty early too. Um, like just got like really excited, like wanted to like crack him with the right hand when I saw an opening and that motherfucker song is fast, dude. Like, uh, I had never fought someone that I think was that athletic and that fast in my life. So I threw a right hand and song like fucking chambered his shoulder and threw like a hard left hook as I was turning back in and it rocked me. And it didn't phase me anymore because I had been through it in the yawn fight. So, uh, even though the yawn fight, I, I, I of course was upset because I lost, like, I took that away from it, and I feel like it actually helped me win against Song big time because mm. after I got rocked, I was like, eh, I know that I'm okay, you know? Which is like, when it happens to you the first time, you're like, oh, fuck me. I'm like, am I going to get knocked out now? You right, know? So, right, right. So it, so it helped, but uh, yeah, I, I was like more or less happy with how I did. Just got dropped, was compromised. I'll get I'll get at him again, you know. The song fight was amazing because I got to watch that as a spectator. Cool. At the Apex. Cool. Which I fucking love. I love fights at the Apex. Mm. I think it's amazing. I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't hear the crowd. <laughs> I yeah. know. I would imagine for an elite fighter, when you're fighting a big opponent like Song Yudong, it's a very important fight, that you would want a giant roaring crowd and you want it to be at the T-Mobile. But man, as a fan, to be able to, especially where I get to sit like at the desk. Nice. So I'm sitting there right there watching the cage and I don't have to work. So I'm just yeah. listening and watching and, and fuck, man, what a, what a great experience it is watching world-class fights in that environment where you can hear everything. Because there was only like 100 people there, like maybe, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's like only people that get invited. So you're you're sitting there and watching world class fights, almost like it's a, in a gym. Yeah, song's awesome too, man. Like I I, f I really feel like that guy. I mean, he lost to me, but like that guy kind of gets slept on a little bit, man. Like uh, this is what we were talking about earlier. There's so many people dude, in that yeah. division. I'm actually really curious to see how him and Ricky Simone how that fight goes. 
Yeah, that's, that's gonna a be matchup. a killer fight. That's a great. That's matchup. gonna be a killer fight. Very exciting fight. Yeah, I'm really excited about uh, excited about Aljamain and Henry. Yeah, that's super exciting Ooh. too. I know. <laughs> at first, you know, like okay, so at first, just being in the division and just like the lens that I have to like walk through life, I was like, man, fucking Henry's just coming back. You know, like <laughs> motherfuckers getting a title shot. You know, but then now I'm kind of like, oh shit, this is gonna be like a cool fight. You know, like it's going to be exciting. Yeah, it's it sucks in one way because this guy sort of takes your place or and takes a place. But in another way, it's like he brings a lot of eyeballs to the division, to the division. And, and also he elevates everything. Yeah. Like that's the reality of a Henry Cejudo. That guy is a fucking Wolverine. Yeah. I mean, he really is. He's good, too. He's very yeah, good. Like, like he's kind of dorky on like, and I know that he tries to be yeah. dorky. The cringe uh, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But dude, when you watch that guy compete, like I remember when I watched him fought, cr- fight Cruz, mm. uh, like yeah, I, I always try to like get a read on people, uh, like wh- what their body language is saying, how their eyes look, you know, like I, I feel like guys that do a lot of like shifty eyed stuff before a fight aren't always the most focused that might just be something that i think and there's no science behind that but i i almost feel like i can like tell but when i watch cejudo fight i'm like oh man that guy's locked in man mm. like that guy is locked in he's a hell of a competitor yeah Freaking elite competitor won a gold medal at like 18 yeah gold medal in the olympics two division world champion mma i mean he's a fucking monster and you know i think one of his most impressive performances was marlon marais yeah, because Marlon had him fucked up in that yep. first round. Marlon was t. Marlon is probably one of the most talented guys that just can't be pushed past a certain level. Mm. When he gets pushed to a certain level, the wheels fall off, and it's very interesting. It's I don't know if it's psychological. I don't know if it's because he cut so much weight. If it's physical, like he doesn't have a large gas tank. I don't know what it is, but if I watch that first round, I'm like, oh my God, this guy's a world beater. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ, Marlon Marais is fucking Henry Cejudo up. Yeah. And then the second round, Henry made an adjustment, just started putting it on him. Yeah, he did what he had to do. He was like, all right, this shit ain't working. We're going after this guy. That was cool. Yeah, Henry's a hell of a competitor. You know who else is, too, though? Sterling, bro. Oh, yeah. Sterling gets slept on as, like, the champ, and he's a hell of a competitor. Yeah, he's a hell of a competitor. Yeah. Well, you saw that in the second Piotr Jan fight because I think Piotr mm. Jan felt like I'm going to fuck this guy yep. up. He cheated. You know, he won the first fight by pretending he was hurt, which I don't think he was pretending at all. Mm. And in, but meanwhile, the guy gets an artificial disc put in his neck. Had to have neck surgery because his neck was fucked. Mm-hmm. Like so, that knee 100% fucked him up. And then on top of that, he has to get this surgery where they're putting a titanium articulating disc in his neck. And then he goes and fights again yeah. and then dominates. That's a big deal. Big deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Aljamain doesn't really, he, he doesn't seem like a super boastful guy like for himself. Like I, I always kind of see him when, when I watch like those things that I watch on Aljamain. He's being like silly and like yeah. calling fights and all of this stuff. He doesn't, he's not a super boastful guy on his own, but uh, he's, he could be if he wanted to because he's a very good fighter and the neck surgery that's a big deal man coming back from something like that and it's a very big deal yeah it's um it's amazing that we have that kind of technology today that they can replace discs in someone's neck yeah, to the point crazy. where they can fight in a world class and a world championship title fight it's pretty crazy mm-hmm. what did you get out of your fight with him uh sterling yeah uh not to fight like a pussy <laughs> don't don't go in there like a pussy uh no um i just wasn't i i was kind of i don't know man i i just like uh i went into that fight all wrong 
Like, uh, I, I was just, like, way too calm, way too, like, I got this. Like, just being a douche, you know, like a freaking, like, I, you know, like, if, if one of my fighters was being like that, I'd be like, hey, man, you were kind of a douche, you know, like, you thought that you were just going to walk through that guy, like, you didn't get up at all, like, you know, and, and part of it wasn't because I thought that I was, like, so much better than Aljamain. I think part of it was just probably just, like, a compensation inside me that was, like, somehow afraid to lose so i was just trying to be like some type of character or whatever mm. you know but but long story short i wasn't up enough at all and aljamain was up here and i was like here and here is not where you want to be for a fight so uh it, it just made for like i remember being in that fight and being like is this fucking guy on my back right now you know like i was like how the hell did he get there like this isn't how this is supposed to be going just like dumb shit like that mm. like adolescent competitor type shit uh, and that's actually after that fight, that's when I was like, I'm getting this shit down now. Like I'm figuring out how to show up every single night. So you think that's a part of the important, one of the important things that happens in the process of becoming a great fighter is that you have to make those mistakes in order to learn and feel the pain of that to know that you have to make some adjustments and you have to make some changes. I, I think, I think from my personal experience, uh, uh, like I always try to catch mistakes before they actually become like problems. But in my experience in life, the things that I've really fixed haven't been until after I've like cracked, you know, mm. or like had something horrible happen. Yeah. Like, uh, when that happens in life, I feel like you just take things way, way more serious because it becomes a reality. When, like, if you kind of know something's like, ah, that's a problem, but I don't really have to worry about that problem right now because it's not in my face. But you're always kind of like, hmm, that might be a problem one day. And then it actually becomes a problem. Then you fix that shit, you know? Mm. Like, uh, actually, after that fight, um, I'll spend, a, like, a lot of time just, you know, in my car or whenever just thinking to myself... I'd be like, is there anything that I'm doing right now that I will hate myself for if I lose this next fight? Mm. And like, what do I need to fix so that that shit doesn't happen? You know, and I'm like constantly always asking myself those types of questions where I'm just like, look, man, if like, say you lost tomorrow, would you change anything right now? And like, I ask myself that like a lot, a lot. Mm. You said something the last time we were on the podcast that I actually put up a clip of mm -hmm. the other day because it was it's, it's such a profound thing you said. You said, I wish I could win every fight and feel like I lost. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, what a... I mean, maybe not because <laughs> now, now that I'm on the winning side of shit, it feels pretty good. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> So maybe I don't mean that, but... Uh, <laughs> As far, but it is like the better way to like become yeah. great, you know, it's a better way to become great. Like even, even uh, like I was wrestling with Banks the other day before we came out here and I was like, hey, like I'm fucking this up, this up, this up, this up. Like I need to get better at this, this, like these are the next steps, blah, 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 you know. So uh, I, I have really embraced that. I'm glad that I don't actually have to feel like a loser because that shit really, really sucks. But uh, yeah, I... Uh, this shit is a marathon, man. Like, it's yeah. a marathon. It's an ultra marathon. It's an ultra marathon, and it's going to last for hopefully the next six, seven years of my life. So, how old are you now? 30. So, 37, you think, is the exit strategy? Yeah. That seems like for a natural <laughs> athlete, 
That's the the tail end of your efficiency, your body's ability to perform at the highest levels. I don't want to have my like wife and kids watch me get knocked out a bunch yeah. of times. You know, like I I don't I don't, don't want to go out like that. You know. I mentioned Chris Gutierrez, but that last Frankie fight when mm-hmm. Chris knocked out Frankie, I was like, I, I was very apprehensive about that fight because I too. knew that Frankie had, had hip replacement surgery, and I you know I mean he's been around for so long. I mean, he beat BJ Penn for the title in Abu Dhabi in like what was that, two thousand six or something? Yeah. When was Dang. that? It was a long time ago. It was when Anderson Silva fought Damian Maya. And Dang. That was a long fucking time ago. And then, you know, you think about those wars that he had with Gray Maynard and all the fights that Frankie's been in, and to see his kids in the audience for that fight, I'm like, Oh god, they're gonna come see this fight. Dude. And Gutierrez is he's nasty. He's so good. So he is really slick. good. Bro, when they took that fight, I was like, why? Why? You know, like yeah, not not why? to be offensive towards anyone, but I was like, Chris is good, man. He's very Chris good. Chris is really good. Uh and he doesn't get the deserve the, the, the attention he deserves because he's in this fucking insane division. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean there's so many guys. So many fucking guys in this division. It's just a what a wild ass. 135 pound division it's crazy yeah it is crazy it's exciting fuck it's exciting yeah it's it's fucking cool it's so interesting to me that you know other than brandon moreno and davison figueredo and you know there's a few guys at 125 that people care about that division doesn't get nothing compared to the 135 135 pound division sells out at t-bobble arena you know it's fucking huge pay-per-view fight 125 people like that too small yeah. It's weird. Yeah, it is weird. Hmm. Yeah, Moreno's a badass, too. I, oh love, I love Moreno. I love that, too. Yeah, yeah. I, lo- I love that he's into Legos. <laughs> <laughs> I love that shit, dude. Is I lo- dude, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, what was Pereira was wearing, like, some Pokemon jean jacket or something. Pereira was? Yeah, really? yeah, yeah. yeah. He could wear whatever the fuck he wants. <laughs> yeah, for real, dude. Yeah. I, so I shook that guy's hand. So, actually, I have a lot of respect for that, dude. I'll, I'll give him, like, uh, so after he had won the belt, the next week, his sister was fighting in, like, the middle of nowhere, Iowa. And I was there cornering one of my buddies or one of my teammates. And he he was there, like, helping his sister. And I was like, oh, man, that's really – that's, like, cool to me, you know? Like, you just Very won a cool. world title against one of, like, the best champions that the UFC has had in years. And then you're, like, in the middle of, like – dude, in the middle of nowhere, Iowa. It was, like, an hour 30 just to the airport. Like, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, but anyways, dude, I shook that guy's hand, and it was, like, shaking, like, one of these things, man. It was, like <laughs> – his hand was, like, this big. I was, like, huge. Uh, yeah. yeah. He's a genetic freak. Yeah, there's a lot going on with that guy. He's incredibly mentally tough. He's he's got insanity in those the power punches and strikes. Is you you watch him hit guys and they you can tell like right away they're, they're like oh fuck mm. like you could see it. He puts it on them and they're like oh Jesus Christ like the danger is so high. He's got that one punch KO power, one strike KO power, and he's so intelligent about how to place it on a chin. He really knows how to hit people there. And then on top of that, he's fucking enormous. Yeah, he's big. You can't believe that guy weighs 185 pounds. You know, I walk around, I'm probably like 200 pounds. How the fuck is that guy 15 <laughs> pounds lighter than me? He's so much bigger than me. He's huge. And then you see him get into the cage. He's like 225 when he when he fights, when he rehydrates, which is just bananas. Seriously. I, I uh, So, like, I was actually watching Izzy and Perea, the, the first fight recently, and... Uh, he has his hands in a spot too, where he's almost like, 
like hit me. Yeah. Like, come on, hit me. He's almost baiting you. Yeah, because he, you know, like that size of a guy fighting a guy like Israel, that that to me is where I like really understand why that fight went the way that it went a little bit is because when someone that big compared to you is standing there kind of like this and just like marching you down with their hands down, it's a little bit intimidating to just be like, well, do I just like nail this guy? You know, because if he slips and I like don't hit him, he's going to like, chuck and fuck me up so i think that that's a little bit of like a giant advantage for for that dude it's also he's got a very unusual stance yeah he stands straight up Mm -hmm. and he keeps his hands like this and he just sort of like straight and then he throws kicks with no telegraph and he doesn't throw him full power but he's got so much power that when he starts throwing those low kicks like i watched the the first fight a few times now uh the first mma fight and he he fucked Izzy's calf up mm-hmm. multiple times in that first round with zero telegraph. So it's not like one of those like dig in and turn your body over. It's just top, top. Yeah. He's just top, just throw it, and it doesn't come out of anywhere. You're not you're not you're not seeing any reads. Yeah, yeah. Those are the toughest guys to fight, honestly. The guys that don't telegraph anything. Yeah. You know, you're plenty powerful just having all that adrenaline in you. You don't need to be loading up too much. That said, if you go back and watch the first fight, Izzy was winning that fight. Izzy was winning the Mm -hmm. grappling exchanges. He took him down, controlled him on the ground, and he was doing great in the striking, rocked him in the first round, had him in real trouble. That first round is 30 seconds longer. Izzy retains his title. So it's one of those things is like, this is not a mismatch, and it's not like, boy, I feel sorry for Izzy. No, it's like, whoa, how is this going to go down? How is this going to go down? And when you got a guy with a mind like Izzy's, where he's so fucking determined and so smart and so laser focused. He thinks he's got the solution. He thinks he's got it. He's going to figure it out. And then you've got this other thing where when someone becomes a champion, there's a, this sort of school of thought that they almost immediately become 10 or 20% better. Yeah. I, I, I have heard that. I yeah. wonder why. I mean, yeah, when were they? They were saying that with Leon and Usman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, huh. I wonder why. Well, he certainly, Leon certainly looked better in the second fight, but I feel like Camaro looked a little apprehensive. I felt like in that fight, like maybe there was something going on. So Izzy's the favorite. Mm. I mean, he was winning most of the fight. Interesting. Yeah, but he lost by TKO. I mean, yeah. that's very interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> Look at the seven and one versus twenty three and two or something. Yeah. yeah, crazy with MMA. It's yeah, um, that's true. it's I I mean it's a very close line that could change easily if uh, more money comes in on Pajeda. You know, one thirty five and one fifteen is almost like a pick 'em fight. You a big better? No, no, I, I don't to. bet on anything. You, now you can't bet when you work for the UFC. Yeah, yeah, I, I, but I was sucks. never really before. Dude, I hate losing money. <laughs> First time I went to Las Vegas and I like lost twenty bucks in like three minutes. I was like, "Fuck this! This yeah. is not for me." Well, that's good. It's, a, it's also <laughs> something silly. Like you can't control it. I mean, I, I guess you can if you're really good at poker or blackjack or something like that. But yeah. it's just like, I'm not interested in that. No. 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 Do you play those games? No. No, I don't play any of that the, stuff. Either. I don't play anything where you don't have to execute. I know, dude. I, I don't like games where uh, I can't use my body in some yeah. way. Yeah. That's yeah. why I like pool. Because in pool, mm. it's like strategy. It's, it's uh, There's all this thinking involved. But you have to make the shot. You have to execute mm. under pressure. Mm. That That's exciting to me. Like, like picking a card. 
Yeah, like, yeah. Anybody yeah. could do it. You could be dead. You could play <laughs> yeah, poker. That's you true. know, it's like it's just you could play vid- digital poker, yeah. like video poker. Like, dude, the people that sit at the things and hit the button all day. Oh my god. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh my god. What I know are you doing? Poker is a very intelligent game, and I, I respect it and appreciate it. And the guys who win all the time, they're they're elite thinkers for sure. I mean, and they're, they're obsessed people. I'm too physical. I like mm. I like things that you do with your body. Yeah, me too. I'm the same. Because it's it's also mental. Because you have to control the body. Mm-hmm. Like controlling the body is like one of the most exciting things about competition. Is that you know that there's a lot of pressure, but you have to perform while you're under pressure. Mm-hmm. You ever play spike ball? No. You, do you know what it is? No. It's like that little uh, black and gold game. It's like a little net that they put on the the ground, and it's like a park game. You you hit the ball at the net, and then it's two versus two. You never seen that? No. Oh, that's my, that's our that? game, dude. That's gonna be my second career. Really? Oh, dude, I love <laughs> spike ball, bro. Uh, we play on the team. We'll get a bunch of the guys on Saturdays in the summertime. It's this game, so it's pretty much like volleyball. You're, it's like two versus two, but it's a three hundred and sixty degree game, and. Uh, it's like volleyball, but instead of hitting it over the net, you hit it at the net. Huh. But, dude, it is so, like, look at, like, you just dive around, you, like, pass the ball back, you get three hits, you hit the board. This, oh, that's wild. Dude, this game is so fun. That does look fun. It's super fun. Yeah, that's my, that's, like, going to be my second career. How am I, I never hearing of this until now? Is this, have you heard of this, Jamie? Yeah, this is sure. 2016? It's, it's pretty new, though. Most people it's play a little like new. It, it's like picking up some steam. Oh, this would be a good game for the beach. Look at this. This is crazy. It's been on ESPN and whatnot. Dude, oh, it's, wow. it's, it's so games. fun. That looks fun. It's super fun. That's going to be your next thing? I think so. you got to preserve your knees if you want to play that yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of cutting and jumping and moving around. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we play. Uh, unfortunately, no one's really good enough to like keep up anymore. I know the guys are gonna hate that I say really? that. Really? You getting really good at it? Yeah, I think I'm gonna like join a team and shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly think I'm gonna join like a summer league. Is that your shit? It is my shit. Dude. Wow. I love it. Wow. I don't have any other hobbies. Like I'm thinking about starting fishing just because I like doing shit outside. But you live in Colorado. A lot of great fishing. Yeah, I don't. I just don't know if it's gonna be my thing or not. You it's know, fun. fucking stand there. You know. Yeah. I don't know if it's my thing. But spike ball is my thing. Bow hunting. Really? Fuck yeah. I got my old roommate's super into bow hunting. That's, dude, I've done a lot of shit. Mm. Bow hunting, like bow hunting a screaming elk. That is one of the wildest things. Really? It's so exciting. Wait, what do you mean screaming elk? They scream. Like when you hit them? No. Uh No, they're they're mating, and so they're screaming at each other and fighting. Oh, shit. So you're dealing with these 900-pound animals with giant antlers smashing into each other, and you're creeping up on them. You know, you're trying to, like, avoid the wind, and it's very physically taxing because you're in the mountains, so you you have to get up to the top of the hills where these guys are, and Mm. you have to be able to... That's what they sound like. Where do you do that? Um, I do it all of the western states. It's, okay. uh, Utah is one of my favorite places to go. I love going there. I go to uh, California. I, I hunt in California and central California every year. I like to go to Colorado. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to uh, get to Arizona either this year or next year. They got elk in Arizona? Oh, yeah. Huge really? Elk, Where huge do they elk. live? Well, they, uh, a lot of them they have in these uh, Apache reservations down oh, there. Oh, cool. And, you know, you, you buy a tag from the reservation. Mm. And they're fucking enormous. Mm. It's the most exciting thing. Like Derek Wolf, who, you know, won the Super Bowl, competed in the NFL. 
He said, stacking Tom Brady's great, but it's not as fun as elk hunting. Oh, cool. Which is crazy. Like yeah. Shooting a, an elk with your bow, he said, is more exciting than sacking Tom Brady. And then you got to go, like, find it, right? Well, is that hopefully the you part? don't have to fight it. No. Oh, no. Okay. Generally, with a good shot, it's not going very far. Okay. It's really just about practice, and it's really just about, you know, bow hunting is one of those things where you look at it you're like oh you just shoot an arrow at the animal and then once you start doing you're like oh there's so many layers mm -hmm. to this thing and there's also layers to execution in archery which re requires constant practice archery is something that's a completely perishable skill cool. if i take like a few weeks off of archery and then i go back i'm like oh fucking, it's all mm. all feels weird mm. but then if i'm practicing every day I kind of know where that arrow is yeah. going. I, when I release that arrow, I just watch it. <laughs> There's something about shooting an 80-yard shot and watching it go right into the center of the target. Dang. It's amazing. Yeah, I don't even and, know if I could see that far. Nah, you can. <laughs> 80 but, yards? But doing it on an animal like that mm. is it's next level. Yeah. It's I mean, I wouldn't shoot 80 yards, but you shoot long. I mean, I, I shot 70 yards. I've shot a, an elk at 70 yards, but Dang. I only did it because I fucking practice every day mm. for hours and hours and I'm 100% confident in the shot, but it's uh, it's a mind fuck. It's, it's exciting. It's primal and the meat is sensational and you, you know, you have fucking a year's worth of meat from one animal. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely gonna get into that at some point. That's fine. Maybe just once, so I don't wanna fucking practice. You would like archery. Really? Yeah, man. Ah, okay. it's, it's one of those things where while you're pulling that bow back and, and centering the bubble and centering your peep sight and putting that, that dot on the target and you're drawing back, there's nothing else in your mind. Cool. You have no room for anything else. It's all about all the different physical things that have to be in play. Your elbow has to be high. You're pulling with your back muscles. You're relaxing your shoulder, mm. releasing, like let the grip has to be light, but yet you're still stabilizing the bow. So it's just like this dance of muscle and thought. And then with perfect execution, when you watch that arrow cool. strike the target, it's so satisfying. Dude, wouldn't it be cool to be like a Mongolian warrior doing that like <laughs> by horseback? Isn't that yeah. how they used to like mess up all of the other? Yeah, yeah they used because that was like their like top weapon. They, they would a, just like send out fleets of people with horses and just. Mm -hmm. they, cool. they did so many things that were horrific. They they were they were incredible. Dude, old school war was. Old school isn't the right term for it, but like yeah, old school war. Old school war was bad. Mongol war. Yeah. yeah, if you could watch, I mean, watching the Mongols sack a city and kill a million people and stack their bodies on top of each other. Did you ever read? Uh, there's, there's, well, read. Uh, there's a great um, uh, audio book series. So it's, it's really a podcast, but it really is more like an audio book. Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Yep, I love his podcast. Did you ever hear Wrath of the Cons? Uh, no. It's the best one. Oh, really? It's okay. the best one. I'll listen. It's to all it. about. Genghis Khan and his family and oh, what cool. they did. Dude, they killed 10% of the population of Earth while he was alive. I... They killed so what? many people that they affected the carbon footprint of human beings on Earth. When they do core samples of the Earth, there's like a considerable decrease in the carbon layer on Earth when Genghis Khan was alive because they killed so many people. Why would he do that? He was a bad man. What an asshole. Very bad man. <laughs> Very bad man. And, you know, he fucked so many women and raped so many women that his genes are in a high percentage of the people that still exist there today. Mm. It's something nuts, right? What was the, we've Googled this before. What is, what is the number? It's something crazy. Mm. Jamie will find it. But 
when he was alive, they killed somewhere between 50 and 60 million people. Jeez. Yeah. Like 10% of the world's population. Oh yeah. Like one out of 10 people on earth was killed by the Mongols. That's going to take me a minute to digest. So a 2003 study found evidence that Genghis Khan's DNA is present in about 16 million men alive today. The Mongolian ruler's genetic prowess has stood... That's a nice way of saying he raped a lot of people. His genetic prowess has stood as an unparalleled accomplishment, but he isn't the only man whose reproductive activities will still show significant genetic impact centuries later. Yeah, the, and what's crazy is that that was like one of the superpowers of the world that everyone was terrified of, the Mongol Empire. Mm. And now, nothing. Yeah. Like, no one's scared of the Mongols. Yeah. It's like, I mean, obviously they're scared of Mongol fighters and they're tough people, but there's no, like, considerable army. Yeah. Which is really crazy if you think about that. It is A thousand years ago, if you went back and talked to them, they're like, we're going to run this shit forever. Yeah. Dude, I used to, uh, back when I was, like, trying to get into Warmind, I would just, like, Google, like, the most badass warriors in time. Yeah. And uh, I'm an idiot, so I, like, forget everything after a month of learning something, but uh, one, of the, <laughs> one of the warriors was this Aztec dude. And they, he got captured by the other team, whatever, who, whoever it was. They took him, they cut off his hands to like try to like uh, just make him miserable for his entire life. They sent him back to his camp. This guy like glues on knives onto his hands and then just commits the rest of his life to just like killing all of these people that like did that. And that to me Jesus though. Jesus Christ. Yeah, this might be him. Jesus Christ. According to legend, after his right hand was cut off by the Spanish, <clears throat> Galvarino boldly held up his left hand, offering up for his captives to amputate. Oh, after his right hand was cut off, he offered up his left hand to the captives to amputate. He displayed no emotion as it was cut off, and his facial features recorded no pain. The Spaniards ordered him to return to... Uh, I can't say that word. How's that? How do I say that word? Coplacan. <clears throat> Coplacan. To urge him to surrender. Wow. Yeah, but I'm I'm pretty sure that this dude uh, like glued on like knives on his hands and and because that's like the type of dude that I was trying to like become sometimes mm. you know where I'm like yeah my life is committed to like you know look at that yeah like that <laughs> that is wild imagine being that guy though and just like having that amount of hatred inside of you to be like you know what we're gluing these on and we're going back Jesus Christ yeah that'd be crazy I guess but. I guess when you kind of, I, I sometimes think when you grow up in a society like that and like there's not a lot going on, you probably get pretty bored and like commit your life to weird stuff like that. Well, I bet he was committed to that the way you're committed to fighting. It's, yeah, probably. It's probably the same kind of thing. Like if you're going to be a warrior, you have to be all in and you got to know there's other warriors like you out there and you got to be better than them. Yeah. Or harder than them. When I had Tyson on, um, I brought up Genghis Khan and his fucking eyes lit up. Uh. He knows so much about like Genghis Khan. Like first of all, he knew his name was Temujin. His real name was Temujin. That, mm. That's his his born name. And he told a story about his brother, about how his brother was uh, stealing fish from him and his other brother. So he killed his brother, and his mother freaked out that he killed his brother. But he's he was a a, a fucking killer from the womb, mm. like from the time he was young, and went on to form this empire that to this day is one of the most frightening forces in the history of humanity. Like what they did, there's a, there was this guy who was, um, the, 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 the Shah of Charisma had sent an emissary to Jin China to go to see whether or not they should invade or conquer them or what, you know, what was going on there. And as they were headed to the city, they saw in the distance what they thought was a snow-covered mountain. 
And as they got co closer, they realized that it was a stack of bones. Mm. There was a stack of bodies because everyone in the city had been murdered. Jeez. They had to abandon the roads along the way because they were so littered with human bodies that were decaying that the roads had become mud and caked with filth and just human decay. It was like de decaying people had destroyed the Ugh. roads. Dang. There was so much decay that the roads had become mud. Dang, that's a pretty sad time in history to probably oh my God. be a it's, part of. They would set up outside of, of cities, of walled cities, and just camp out until people ran out of food. Yeah. And then when they started killing people, they would put them on a catapult, light them on fire, and <laughs> launch them onto the thatched roofs to start the buildings on fire. Shh. Yeah, Why? we don't have it too bad now, I guess, huh? We have it pretty fucking Yeah, easy. we got it pretty good. Pretty man. fucking good. Yeah, I think about it. It's almost too good where I feel like the world's going to end pretty soon. Well, I think you probably are on to something historically because, you know, that's that old thing that people always say. Hard times create hard men. Hard men mm. create easy times. Easy times create soft men. Soft men create hard times. Mm -hmm. Where at soft men create hard times. Yeah, there, there's a Dune quote. I just got done reading Dune, and it goes something along the lines of, like, men made machines to try to free themselves when really what happened is the men with machines just decided to enslave a bunch of people, where it's kind of like we're almost like making ourselves slaves to these machines. Well, maybe even worse with AI. Oh, yeah, that's pretty scary, too. AI is, like, right about to pop, and, and people are just sitting back going, what's going on? What's happening here? What is that? It's literally like the Enola Gay ready to drop a bomb on Hiroshima. It's really, like, yeah. it's, like, right there. You think that'll be it, is AI? I worry. I mean, I don't know. I'm what not would really... be the best? I don't know. Yeah, I don't best know. Best case scenario? Yeah, best case scenario. Best case scenario is we incorporate it into our own biology, and then mm. we become some sort of new type of being that's like a cyborg. Because if it's not that, then you're going to deal with an artificial intelligent life form that's so superior to us that it creates far superior versions of itself mm -hmm. over and over again. Because if it becomes autonomous and sentient, that means it can make decisions and do something. It'll go, well, my programming is dog shit. Let me just figure out how to do this better, yeah. quantum computing, and do it with better technology and, and, and you know nuclear fusion and figure out some way to have power that's not destroying the environment and figure out a way to have something that's completely sustainable and then go better and better than that. You know what I hope that they do? I hope that they can uh, clone dinosaurs. So they're going to do that. I hope that the AI thing, I hope that that's what it commits itself Well, they're already to. doing that with Woolly Mammoths. They they're already cloning have, them? Yes. They're, cool. they're, there's a, there's a proje project that's going on right now where they're going to reintroduce mammoths, woolly mammoths, to Siberia. Mm. And the idea is that... They're going to reintroduce them? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Why? We'll see if we can find that, Jamie. I gotta take a piss. We'll come back and we'll, we'll talk about that okay. because it's, it's pretty fascinating shit. Um, woolly mammoths. Here we go. So scientists are reincarnating the woolly mammoth to return in four years. Interesting choice in words already. Reincarnating? <laughs> what <laughs> the hell? That's scary. <laughs> That's not really what they're doing though, right? But it's interesting too because 90% of all animals that have ever existed are dead. They're extinct. So it's like, are we going to just keep doing this? And what kind of consequences is that going to have for the animals that are alive right now? Like, what if they start reintroducing saber-toothed tigers? What if they start reintroducing, you know, all these animals that at one point in time dominated the earth? Dude, I wonder if a Jurassic Park will ever exist. It like, fucking totally can exist. Oh, man, I hope do it that. does. I really they're, hope it does. I'll pay, I'll pay whatever. Fuck yeah. I'll pay whatever they ask to see, a to see a velociraptor. Oh, my God. <laughs> Any amount of money. 
We know how that ends. That ends bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Them killing no, all of us. Yeah, no one stopped to ask, "Should we do it?" Yeah, <laughs> that's like one of my favorite lines from I mean, the movie. It, it adds bad in the movie. It ends bad in the movie. In real life, you have fucking jets just <laughs> nuke these fucks. <laughs> you know, they made that crazy fucking raptor T Rex. No one can stop that one. Oh yeah, that's right. But the that, Indominus Rex. That, but that's just like the silliness of two, three, four, five. You know, Jurassic One was the shit. That was really what it was at. Like, what did you do? Yeah. You know, my favorite fucking part of the movie is Jeff Goldblum when he first sees the, the brontosaurus when he's in the Jeep and he just, he gets up and he's like, <laughs> he looks at that, they're like, what the fuck did you do? <laughs> yeah. You know? I think that's possible, man. I think they're probably going to do it eventually. I they, think they have it's to, right? Time. Yeah. It's, it's a matter of time before that happens. It's probably a matter of time before, like, we cure cancer and figure out how to live mm -hmm. to 500 years. Like, it's yeah. a matter of time before anything. Unless we blow ourselves up. Unless we blow ourselves up, which is also real possible. Or mm. we get hit with an asteroid, which is also real possible. Ooh. That's the big one. That would suck. That's the big one. I've been obsessed with that for years. Really? Yeah, because of my conversations with Randall Carlson and mm. uh, Graham Hancock. And Graham Hancock is the one who did that. Uh, there's a recent Netflix special, a series. It's really amazing called Ancient, uh, Ancient Catastrophe, right? Do I say it right? Apocalypse. Ancient Apocalypse. And this is, uh, it's all about what's called the Younger Dryas Impact Theory, which is somewhere around 11,800 years ago, the Earth got fucking pelted with asteroids. And there's all this physical evidence in, in the form of uh, nano diamonds, these micro diamonds that, that uh, are created upon impact when these giant rocks slam into the Earth, just the heat and the power and the pressure. And then also iridium. Iridium, which is very common in space, but very rare on Earth. There's a layer of iridium all over the Earth mm. around this time, around 11,800 years ago. And this also coincides with the end of the Ice Age. And Randall Carlson's life's work has been explaining how this has this impact that happened and they know exactly what it is it's through a very specific meteor shower that we pass through every june and every november and that you see the meteor showers in the sky and everybody looks at them but passing through that occasionally a big one goes through mm. and those big ones he thinks slammed into the ice that was covering north america because at that point in time during the ice age North America had a sheet of ice covering half of it that was like a mile, two miles high. And all that stuff is what you see when you see the Great Lakes. That's melted ice. Mm. And that he thinks that it happened almost instantaneously. And that these things slammed into the ice. They slammed into parts of the world. And that that is the flood story from the Bible. That's the Epic of Gilgamesh. Mm -hmm. That's all these different things. And it also shows why there's all these like super sophisticated structures that seem to be thousands of years older than they previously thought they were. So what him and, and Graham Hancock have come up with, and that's what's in this Ancient Apocalypse documentary, is that at one point in time, there was an incredibly sophisticated society that lived on Earth, and that's the Africans, the mm -hmm. Egyptians. What they had done in you know, whatever thousands of years it was that they built that stuff, because it's under dispute as to how old it really is. It's at the very earliest, the very least, it's 2500 BC, but they think it's way older than that. And these people had technology that we still don't understand. We don't know what they use. We don't know how they did it. But they moved 2,300,000 stones that were 
tons, some mm. of them for, from hundreds of miles. They cut obelisks out of the mountains and moved them a thousand miles. They don't have no idea how they did it. They have no idea what they used to cut them. They have no idea what they used to move them. And you're talking about people at that point in time you know, when you're dealing with 5,000, 6,000 years ago, we thought they were like hunter-gatherers. Like, how did they do that? Yeah. If it's really 10,000 years old, 12,000 years old, 20,000 years old, what kind of sophisticated culture exists that went on a different path than we went on? We went on the path of internal combustion engines and mm. electricity and, and computers. They might have gone on a, a similarly advanced or more advanced way, but with a completely different angle. They, they came at technology from a completely different space. And that's what we see when we see those stone structures. I'm worried that that could happen to us. Mm. And I'm, I'm worried that if something like that did happen, there would be very little evidence of the society that's left. You'd have a small group of people that survived and lived in fucking utter barbaric conditions. And I think that's also why people are so fucking savage when you look at human beings like 6,000, 5,000 years ago, what we're probably seeing, according to Graham Hancock and a lot of other people now at this point in time are, are coming to this conclusion, is a reemergence of civilization, not the birth of civilization. Mm. What we think of as the emergence of civilization, we think of Babylonia and ancient Sumer, and this is the first mathematics, the first written language, the first agriculture. And what they think now is this is just a rebirth of a complicated society and that for the 6,000 years plus after the impacts it was probably hell on earth mm. and the people that survived were fucking monsters yeah just monsters and that is probably why people were so fucking savage mm. post the construction of this insanely complex civilization in Egypt I mean what they did in Africa to this day is the, one of the most puzzling things that archaeologists have to to ponder. Yeah. Like how? What is this insanely sophisticated society that existed that built these structures and left behind no no record of how they did it? Yeah. All the burning of the Library of Alexandria, all the ancient mm. work that they had that they had where they had like passed down what had happened, all that was gone. When they got attacked and they burnt down the library. I know. I, I love that. Uh, so much of science is so unknown still. Yeah. Isn't that cool, man? That, that's pretty cool. cool. Like, uh, sometimes I think that our society gets super caught up on, like, how sophisticated and how smart we all are and this and that. And, like, I think it's, like, a nice reminder sometimes to have other people question things and uh, and just, like, come up with different theories and ideas because it reminds everyone that we're not all as smart as we sometimes think, yeah. you know, because I do think that we live in a society where we think that we're so much smarter than the humans that were around five, 6,000 years ago when really is the same body, same brain. We just yeah. got more shit, you know? Yeah. We probably aren't as smart as the Egyptians. No. It's m really likely that what they had figured out, again, it was, it's, probably, it's probably hard for us to understand what kind of technology they used mm -hmm. because it doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. So someone would have to like figure something out that's some groundbreaking breakthrough technology that will people go, oh, that's how they did it. And then we'll know and then we'll understand. But right now we're less sophisticated in terms of our ability to move stone and make stone construction than they are. Yeah. There's no evidence that there was big machines. There's no hieroglyphs that show cranes or so what, what the yeah. fuck did they do? No yeah. one knows. Oh no, I, I, I don't even, I can't, I don't even know how to use a compass. I'd be like one <laughs> of the first ones dead, dude. I'd be compass like, is easy. 
Yeah. yeah I mean, just keep it away from magnets. It points towards the north. Yeah. I, I from, like being from Colorado. I'm like that way's west. Yeah. You know, like so that's nice. <laughs> yeah. But I think that it, uh, it would be a shame if like the world did end and there there was like people scattering to like survive because I'd spend my whole life just learning how to fight and then like probably be one of the first ones to die because <laughs> I have no directional, no survival skills. You'd at learn all. them. People would learn them. They, you know, yeah. people adapt. They adapt quickly. We'd figure it out. But I mean, you look at like all these movies of apocalypses, it's all the same story. Like everybody reverts to barbarism. It's mm. just horrific conditions and people are terrible. That's The Walking Dead. That's like everything. The Walking Dead is not really about zombies. It's about what happens to people. Yeah. Yeah, shit, that would be sad. Yeah, we're like building something that allows us to somehow or another change and evolve past our primate savage ancestry mm -hmm. but every time that goes away we revert right back to it mm. Mm. every time society collapses power goes out no more food you have to survive on your own we go right back yeah that's a shame but we kind of know that that's why those movies are so appealing because mm -hmm. we know that if the shit went down it would be horrible yeah it'd be hard and people would do the worst things they possibly could in order to get by i wonder if i even would sometimes like i wonder if i'd just be like you know what i'm just not gonna do that i'm just gonna go in this corner and die bro you'd be fucking strapping animal skins on you making so? armor yeah you would yeah you it, would you would it, take the same mentality that you have towards fighting and you would apply that towards war yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I it'd think be, it's a it, proxy for war. I think an MMA is a proxy for war. Mm. I think it's a, it's a it's like a thing that substitutes what is inside of all of us. It's yeah. why it's so appealing. Yeah, that's why dudes love it. And it's also why dudes love the fact that you can do that and still be cool to each other afterwards mm -hmm. and hug. Everybody loves a fucking war, and then when dudes high five and hug, it's very emotional. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, M yeah, MMA is beautiful in so many ways. We're transcending. We're, we're, I mean, and I think that allows it. It's like MMA is a way that humans transcend. And you transcend the barbaric nature that you have and funnel it to something that's absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's MMA is beautiful. It is. It's really, and, you know, like there was that famous thing where, who, who was that actress that said, you know, she's talking about the arts and she said, and not mixed martial art. Who was that? Oh, yeah, yeah, who yeah. Who was that? Uh, Some older I, lady. Uh, Meryl Streep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, who's a great actress, but... She doesn't know. It's okay. She's just, uh, she's got some silly idea that she thinks acting is the end all be all, and that's the arts. Yeah. Okay? Martial arts is a fucking art. When I watched your performance against Marlon, I, that was artistic to me. Thanks. I was like, God damn, that's beautiful. Thank you. It's beautiful. Yeah, well, yeah. It, it it totally. I think everything's an art if you get good enough at it and yes. you love it enough. Uh, like actually, you know what? I I I, re I like love all of the arts. You know, like I love poetry, music, all of it comedy i think that it's beautiful that you guys like sit in a room think of like all kinds of cool shit about life that's funny write it down and then like go perform it on stage that's pretty cool it's a fun art it'd it's be a fun I, I i like get jealous of you guys because your guys's job is to like sit there come up with like funny stuff that connects with people and that's like what you guys do and then and the performing piece of course but like just the writing out stuff that like connects with people that sounds like a really beautiful it's like writing music or something it's a fun gig and i've yeah. been doing it for 30 plus years and i'm still obsessed with it well what's like your obsessed. favorite part about it the creation of new stuff yeah for that, sure yeah that's my favorite part about fighting too mm, mm -hmm. interesting I it's think, like what keeps you in interested yeah 
there's probably parallels in everything. Like when you learn a new skill, when you have a new thing, and then you can execute it, and it becomes a thing. And with, with one of the things that I love about comedy, too, is that you have to constantly come up with new stuff. Mm -hmm. And the audience, you know, they want to hear some of the old stuff because they love the bits, but they really want to hear that new shit. Like, mm -hmm. hit me with some surprise shit. What's some new stuff you've been working on? Yeah. And that's one of the cool things about this place that I, that I opened, The Mothership, is that it's designed entirely for the creation of comedy. We have two shows in the little room every night and two shows in the big room every Every night cool and comics are hopping back and forth from one show to the other and we have this thing that my uh, my friend Brian Simpson hosts this show called uh, bottom of the barrel and it's a barrel like a little whiskey barrel and the audience at the beginning of the show they get index cards and they get to write down an idea for a premise mm. and it's in the barrel and you reach into the barrel and you pull out a thing and it'll say like reincarnating the woolly mammoth and then you go okay what do I think about that? I'm going tonight. That's what I'm going to write down then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's tonight. That's Tuesday uh, nights, unfortunately. That's a, that's a, I, I love like uh, creative things like that, though. Like, yeah. uh, whose line is it anyway? Yeah. Dude, I used to yes. love whose line is it anyway. You know, yes. like just improv like that yes. to me is, that's like, that's like, yeah, that's that's an art separate from its own, like writing down and yes. doing stand up. That's like its own little art. Yeah, that's like creativity in the moment it's like when you are in a fight and you improvise something out of nowhere yeah and it just it works you just see an opening you're like i think i can do this uh -huh. and you just do it and it's like it's not even like i think i can do it you just recognize that that thing is there and then do it yeah it, and then yeah like anything that's so like boom 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 is cool freestyle yeah. rap is yes. really cool all of that stuff yes. is super cool yeah freestyle rap is cool but i I'm a giant fan of like 90s hip hop because th those dudes mm. wrote everything out and mm. like the lyrics were so complex and they twisted and turned and like I'm a big fan of Gangstar and mm. you know listening to some of their old lyrics like god damn they're so creative. The Wu-Tang Clan was super oh cool. Oh my god. Dude, they, they were just a bunch of dudes in like probably their basement just like mm -hmm. watching kung fu movies and <laughs> writing raps. Yeah. How cool is that? The coolest. I that mean, is to this cool. day they transcend. To this day you know Wu-Tang's for the children were you a uh biggie or tupac guy both yeah, yeah both, both but biggie both. more yeah me me too i love tupac tupac was too. amazing but i'm i'm a fan of braggadocious mm. shit talking hip-hop yeah 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 and nobody did it better than biggie do you ever watch uh like freestyle rap battles on youtube and sure then, dude they go at each other with some sometimes of the things fight. that they say yeah yeah, yeah. sometimes they fucking hit each other i love and shit. that kind of shit too I, I love i love like watching people be aggressive and confrontational i love that shit bro. why do you like that because you're you although you fight very aggressive and confrontational you're a very calm and relaxed guy yeah definitely uh i'm like fascinated with people man like soup like i went to school for psychology i worked at a residential treatment facility for kids like I, i've done everything that i've ever done is like involved like some type of psychology or whatever and i love and it sucks to say but i love watching like uh shitty dating shows too online <laughs> because there's dude there's so much confrontation that happens yeah. and i love witnessing people in confrontational scenarios and just seeing like what happens to the human person mm -hmm. as they're like dealing with a ton of stress yeah. like i remember in college bro i used to love going into like test day and just watching everyone freak out. Like that was like my favorite <laughs> shit. Like I love watching people get nervous. 
It is fun. It's fun to watch the nervous system and the mind get overloaded and all the possibilities and the thinking and the, the just the fear and the just anxiety. How they just start being weird, dude. <laughs> I love I love watching people be weird yeah. just because they're nervous. Yeah, it's fun. It is fun. It's well it's it's also I guess we're also accumulating an information database. We're like educating ourselves as to why mm-hmm. and how the, the, the person and we apply it to ourselves, like what would I do? How would I handle that? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Oh, I, I gotta stay cool if that happens to me. Like, uh-huh. oh, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. panic. <laughs> don't don't get in your feelings. Yeah. One one of like the uh, cool thing that I learned when I used to work at that residential treatment center was, uh, like we'd have to like, like uh, so it was with kids from like five to about like twelve or thirteen or whatever. Uh, all came from like abuse backgrounds, but I would love to just see how you could tell that they were feeling a certain way based off their actions just being differently. Mm. Like, I thought that that was really fascinating. It was like my first time in life where I was like, oh yeah, I guess like when I do pace around a little bit, I I guess like that's me just acting out some type of like nervousness that I have going on inside of me. Mm. Um, But I learned a ton from that place too. That was like watching a lot of people being in confrontation all the time and their kids too, because kids are just like, so innocent and pure and don't know how to hide anything so mm. everything that they're feeling they just feel one of my favorite moments about a fight is the stare down at the weigh-ins oh yeah there's something about the stare down at the weigh-ins mm. you know where i'm very fortunate that i interview the fighters mm-hmm. right so i introduce them and then when dana brings the two of them together i get right there and I look at these guys looking at each other in the <laughs> eyes, and some of them are talking shit, but there's this there's this thing going on where they're both very aware of this moment. And it's like, how are you dealing with it? And how calm can you stay? And how prepared are you? And how, you know, how composed are you? And it's it's a wild moment, man. It's it is a wild, a wild moment. moment. I, I, I watch for that uh, when I see my opponents walk out, too. I watch for, like, the same types of things, you know? Mm. It's interesting. You you, uh, you have a very specific pacing style mm-hmm. that you do when you're getting prepared. Like when you when when Bruce Buffer is introducing you. By the way, that motherfucker is the best. Yeah, Bruce is. He's man. the best, dude. I heard him practicing one time. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was at uh, forget which hotel it was at, or maybe it was at that Vegas one. But I like hear something in the background, like him like making noise. Or, or him like practicing saying the people's names, and I was like, "Damn, this fool takes that job serious." Oh yeah, well you have to. Some of those names are brutal. Yeah, you know, like some of the Russian Yo, names. Yeah, like, yeah. Jesus Christ, they're so complex. I just thought it was so cool that he was like practicing it. I was like, I love that. Oh, he's very serious about it, and there's no one better, man. When that guy goes, it's time. <laughs> I mean, he's fucking close to seventy years old, and this fucking dude's head turns like a grape. Yeah, he's screaming like, "One day we're gonna lose him, and he's gonna uh-huh. drop dead, and it would be like the most appropriate way for a guy like him to die—a legend <laughs> to have a heart attack, like interviewing a world championship fight." You know, I mean, he needs to have an offspring soon. Right, we need, we need a right. Third, what, it'll be the third buffer. Yeah, the yeah. third buffer. Yeah, yeah. Do you know he didn't even know his brother until he was like a grown man? I heard that. Isn't that wild? Yeah, that is crazy. And then the UFC couldn't afford his brother, so they, they got Bruce. Because mm. Michael was the fucking man. Let's mm. get ready to rumble. Yeah, yeah. Everybody would go crazy. That was the thing. And Bruce, you know, if you go back, he was kind of learning on the job. I mean, he was good at it in the beginning, but he became the Bruce Buffer that we see now. Mm. Like, he was not that intense in the early days. Mm. He just sort of did it like a regular guy, like a regular announcer. 
But then as time went on, he just fucking ramped up the intent. And he's such a fan. I mean, that dude fucking loves the fights. Like, I'll, I'll meet him backstage, and he's like, what do you think? What do you think about this? What do you think about that card? And we'll start going over the cards. Like, what do you think about that one? Whoa, this is exciting. This is exciting. And then you see it in his fucking face when he's out there. You know, when he's, when he, when he's right in front of him, Adesanya! <laughs> it's like, woo! I get goosebumps. Seriously. Like, God damn, I'm sitting in my chair. I'm like, holy <laughs> shit. Woo! Yeah, you're yeah. in for it this weekend. Oh my god, I'm so excited! I know. At all the things I do, man, I do a lot of fun things. But doing commentary for the UFC is one of the most fucking exciting things a person could ever do. Yeah, it's just you just get it's. I feel so honored and so privileged that I get to be a person who's talking about this while people are experiencing it. And then I get to just somehow or another accentuate it or give life to it or, or give my thoughts to it or, or, or just, just express my excitement and that it's contagious yeah. and that people feel it and feed off of it. Live fights are insane too, man. Like it's when insane. I get the chills, man, when I'm like there and then it's the last fight and all everything goes dark and oh then just God. the spotlight the whole arena is dark and just the spotlight are on the two fighters oh my God. what a moment man what a moment what a moment it gives me the chills every time i remember when Sinead o'connor sang conor mcgregor's walkout song mm. and the the whole place went dark and then green lights for ireland and you just like holy shit and just goosebumps on top of goosebumps it was is this it Look at this, the green lights. Dude, this was so fucking intense. Which fight was this? 189. Mm. This is Madison Square Garden. Oh, MGM, this is MGM. This is insane. What is this, an Irish song? Yeah. What the foggy do? Was this the Jose Aldo fight? Mendez. Mendez. Uh, okay, so this is when he won the interim title. There he is. <laughs> he looks so different at 45. I know, man. He was a skeleton. Yeah, there was no one like Conor McGregor at that time, man. You talk about a dude who fucking was big for the weight class. Yeah. At 145, when he would weigh in, he would look like a dead man. Because that was the days when you had the real weigh-in. When the guy got on oh, the scale, yeah. like, you didn't have a chance to rehydrate. You actually out had to make weight in front of the crowd. So you'd see Conor, and he looked like a dead man. He looked like a guy who'd been in a concentration camp. Like, he'd been starving himself. Yeah. And then also the next day, shoo, 
But that was also the days of the IV. You mm. were allowed to rehydrate. That was the official broadcast. They had the two. Same, same, but better camera The work. bravest fell on the requiem bell rang mournfully and clear for those who died the Easter tide in the springing of the year while the world did gaze with deep amaze at those fearless <laughs> You want to talk about a dude who just eats pressure. He was fearless, dude. Oh my God. That, that's like what separated Conor McGregor. That's why I don't know that there will ever be anyone that's really like him is because that dude was walking the walk and he was fearless, man. Like he was fearless in the fights that he would take. I think when he fought Chad, what it was like short notice, right? It was short notice and he had a fucked up knee. His knee was really fucked mm, up. Mm-hmm. He, he really couldn't wrestle in that fight. He couldn't grapple. Even taking a fight against Chad on short notice, mm-hmm. man, Chad Mendez was a freak. He was a fucking tank. Yeah. He was a tank. Yeah. He's fighting bare knuckle oh. against Eddie Alvarez. I saw that. Wild. That's, that's soon. crazy. I think that's next weekend. I Is think that it's next a, weekend or I'm the pretty, weekend after that? It's I, soon. It's this month. Yeah, it's in Luke Colorado. Rockhold is fighting Mike Perry. Yep, it's in Colorado. I'm going to go. Woo! Yeah. What day is that? April 29th. What am I doing? What is April 29th? Isn't there something else going on that night? Isn't that also the Toronto card? April 29th is... Is that the Toronto UFC card? Yeah, no. No? It's not Toronto, but there is a UFC card that night. Oh. It's a fight Fight night. Oh, it's a fight night. Bare knuckle seems a little crazy. I'd do bare knuckle if you could elbow, though. If you could elbow, I'd do bare knuckle. I don't want to just punch people and fuck up my hands. You definitely would fuck up your hands. If I could elbow people, though, I I I think I would like be able to handle it. I wonder why they don't allow that. I I, that always confused me too. Yeah, they might as well. That'd be awesome. Imagine that'd be a cool sport. Just punches and elbows. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, the really crazy striking sport is Letway. Have you ever seen one live? Letway? Yeah. No. I saw one live. They had it in Wyoming. I, I like went up. It was like the last one. Dudes headbutting each was other. Was David LaDuke there? Did he fight there? Uh, is he like a... He's the top guy. He's he's a fucking savage. Uh, I want to say it was one of the top guys. Is he like a bald white dude? Yeah. I think so. Bald, skinny, white dude. Yep, yep, yep. That guy's a fucking savage. Yeah. Dude, he's, he was in the back warming up headbutts. Yeah, things. he headbutts yeah. pads. Yeah. He, he incorporates headbutts into his pad work. I mean, it, I, I don't see... I mean, why wouldn't you be allowed to headbutt? Why wouldn't you be allowed? I mean, Mark you Coleman... You could do way worse shit. Mark Coleman, when he was the fucking king, would take guys down, get them in their guard, and headbutt the fuck out of them. Dude. That was a big part of his strategies, beating the shit out of you when you are on the ground, including headbutts. Oh, my God. That would be awesome. Yeah. That would be pretty awesome. I think it should be allowed. Why not? I don't understand why it isn't, and I also think that you should be able to knee a downed opponent in the head. I do, too. Especially when someone's in the turtle position, like mm-hmm. if they shoot for a shot and they sprawl. And, you know, you're sitting there. Why can't you knee them? Because their knees are on the ground? Seriously. Makes zero sense. Why? It, uh, what do you think about uh, soccer kicks? So I think soccer kicks should be legal. I do, too. You should figure out a way to not get soccer kicked. Yep, I agree. And if the referee thinks that someone is compromised and they're going to get soccer kicked, they want to stop the fight, stop the fight before that happens. But if you see what they're doing in 1FC, where they allow those soccer kicks, it's a big factor. And it's a real factor in real fighting. And this is supposed to be the sport of real fighting. Yeah. I think the only argument against 
against it is the cage because the cage prevents a guy from moving because mm. you're pressed there and then you get stomped or soccer kicked and there's really no way to get out of that. I feel like if you wanted to have soccer kicks and stomps, you really should have an open arena, which I've been a supporter of anyway. I think cages get in the way of the view. It's a, it's a factor in the fight. It allows guys to get up where they ordinarily wouldn't be able to. There's a lot of things that happen with the octagon. I know the octagon's iconic, and I know like people love it, but it doesn't really help the fight. How, how big would you make the arena? I'd make it like a basketball court. That would be awesome. If you can fight, if you can have basketball in a basketball court, and these guys are all running around and doing all that, I mean, there's so much room for these guys to run. Why can't you have a, a place where you have a center where you're supposed to compete in and you have a red line that's a considerable size that if it gets too far over that, you have to come back in? That would be awesome. I think it's better. We should start our own promotion. Nah. We'd be fucking boxing with elbows <laughs> in an arena. Well, if UFC was going to do anything, I would want them to do kickboxing because I, I think too. that is the untapped thing. I know they're all high on this slap boxing thing, the slap fighting thing, and I know that that gets a lot of money and a lot of people love it and they watch it on TikTok. That's great. But if you really wanted to have another thing that, that has the potential to be gigantic, I think it's world championship kickboxing. I agree with you. The one the, in one, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's so awesome. It's awesome. There's so many good fights. I love what one's doing. I love that they incorporate grappling matches. They have strict grappling matches. And then they have these MMA fights. And they have kickboxing with little gloves. It's fucking great. Yeah, kickboxing with little gloves is cool. It is. It's fucking great. And they have, they, they, even, they have Muay Thai and they have kickboxing. They have different rules for different kinds of competitions they have over there. And it expresses all the different aspects of martial arts. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, they should. That would be badass. It'd they be should badass. 100% do that. Yeah. It, it'd be super cool, too, to just, like, see how people do in an MMA fight and then have the same two fight in a, just a kickboxing fight. You know? Oh, yeah. I think people would love that, dude. I, I actually think that it's really sad that the sport of kickboxing isn't a lot bigger than what it is right now. I think it's sad more. because it's such a beautiful art. It's the best. I love it. I love watching it. I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a fan of all combat sports. I love jiu-jitsu. I love kickboxing. But I think that's the one thing that's untapped because it's the one of the most exciting aspects of MMA, and it's not an individual sport that of note dude imagine getting sanchai in a ufc fight with just small gloves just oh my kickboxing God. against yeah. who, who? Like that, a wrestling the way they do the ncaa wrestling yeah what i don't like is the the drop off see the drop off is dangerous yeah that's and dangerous. I, I watched uh ben Askren when he uh wrestled jordan peters or uh, jordan burroughs rather and jordan took him over the top i'm like that's not oh. yeah. you can get hurt bad. yeah you'll break you just put it on the ground then What's that? Or if they just like didn't have it raised. Yes, that's exactly what I mean. Have it on the ground and have a, a space that's even a little bit larger than that and have a red area on the outside that's probably double the size of that outer black area where you cannot, like when you get into that area, there's plenty of room to make your way back in, but the referee makes you get back in and you have to fight in the center. And, you know, have it so that you have to chase a guy down. You mean, you know, and people will boo. But guess what? When you get a takedown in that environment, it's a real takedown. And when you get back up, you're really going to have to get back up. You can't wall walk. You can't make your way up to the side of the cage and press your back up against it and, and you know, and stand back up. What do you think about no rounds? I like that. I like that, too. I like that a lot. I think it'd be like, you know, may maybe like uh, you could still do rounds. But what if we started rounds where the last round ended? Mm. That'd be cool, I think. 
Why not?、Mm. You know, almost like a halftime. You know, like you still get the same amount of points, but now it's just second half. But like, if you end up on bottom at the end of the first round, then you start on bottom in the beginning of the second. That's not a bad idea. That'd at be all. cool. That's not a bad idea at all. I mean, I think you know, Chael Sonnen said it best. He said. No one should be fighting for 25 minutes. It's just so hard.、Mm. It's so grueling for you that no one can fight full blast. As at, you know, so you have to pace yourself. You have to figure it out. It's just you're asking so much of a body to be able to do that. I can't move after. What's it like? The next day, I literally can't move. Like、uh, even in the last one where I didn't even take a ton of damage. Like I'm literally in bed. The my entire body is sore. Like I'm sore in weird places that I had no idea that I had gotten hit. And I literally like when I try to move. Like I'll sit there with my ankles up because my ankles always get really swollen because I kick knees all the time. But I'll sit there with my legs up and like to move over and roll over or go to the bathroom or whatever is like for like an entire day. And then it's a little better the next day and then kind of gone by the third day. But the next day is horrible. Does anything mitigate it? Ice baths or anything? I, I take ice baths、uh, and I do the hot tub like for the like day after, the next day after, and the next day after, just to, like flush it all out because there's so much swelling that's going on.、Mm. What's the most significant injury you've ever had? I don't really get super hurt, man. Like,、uh, really? yeah, I really don't.、Uh, I tore my pectoral one time.、Uh, I broke this thumb, but other than that, man, not too many like serious things. I I,、uh, <laughs> I was told by a couple people that, or by my PT, that I have like some of the thickest cheekbones that he's ever seen, and then the dentist told me that I have some of like the thickest enamel or whatever it is around my teeth. So I think I have like I know I'm skinny and lanky, but I think I have like some pretty hard ass bones. <laughs> like I really I don't like break stuff. That's very beneficial. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many fighters that go through their career and they get marred with injuries, and they have injury after injury, and they either they push through it or they never quite recover, and you see the drop off in their performance, and they're never quite the same. I super take care of myself, though. Like,、uh, that's like、uh, that's like another thing that I think I do really, really well is like step A is like get better, but like slightly underneath that is like don't get hurt. Because if you get hurt, you can't do anything for like weeks or months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the The scariest injury to me in MMA is the shin break. Yeah, that's a wild one, man. We've seen that three or four times now, and every time you see it, the guy's really never the same again.、Mm-hmm. And the Connor one is fascinating to me because we haven't seen. I've seen him sparring, and it looks like he's like using that left、mm-hmm. leg and throwing kicks and everything. But how is that going to hold up in an actual fight? Yeah, I hear that they heal pretty decently, but who knows? Well, look at Chris Weidman—he's still fucked.、Mm-hmm. It's been two years. I mean, he had real problems with that. He had to get it reset because the bones weren't—they weren't healing together properly. It's a—it's a fucking nightmare. It's a real sport, you know.、Oh. Like that—that's what I—I、uh, I was talking to my buddy the other day. I go, you know, because a lot of it's about the entertainment piece, and you know. Talking shit and、uh, all of the interviews leading up to it or whatever, which I don't always enjoy the most. But I like was saying I was like, once we're in the cage, there's no more entertainment show happening. Like it's a fight at that point, and like it feels like it's real as hell. You know, it's as real as it gets. I mean, as, I know、yeah. that used to be the UFC logo, as real as it gets. Ah, cool. That was the the catchphrase, but it is as real as it gets. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. With the given set of rules that, you, you know, it's the best set of rules that we have for combat sports. I don't think what we were talking about before, the knees on the ground, I think is huge. Because I think you shouldn't just be able to turtle up like that. It no. doesn't make any sense. No. It doesn't make any sense that all you can do is punch them to the body or kick them to the body or, you know, take their back. You should be able to knee them in the head. And you saw it in Pride when, you know, Mark Coleman did that a bunch of times. When he got guys down, he just dropped knees on their heads. Yeah. You know, Ben Askren did that in one. When he competed in one, it was a market change because now he's allowed to use not just takedowns but knee guys in the head when he had them taken down. Brutal. Yeah, it, sh- it should be. Should be allowed. Should be allowed. It's a, Figure out how to not have that happen to you. I mean, it's just one more thing to defend against. And I think we're kind of allowing, because of the rule set right now, we're allowing these positions where you're it's it's unrealistically safe you're not really safe there at all you're in a very vulnerable position but because of the rule set you can pull that off and you could actually use it as a strategy to stay in that position while the guy has to do something different yeah how how you feel about punching in the back of the head i definitely don't think that that should be allowed we talked about opinion. that recently but mm. because i think why not because some knockouts are from the back of the head like head kicks mm. like say if like Wonder Boy loves to throw that over the shoulder, like sneaky kind of question mark style kick. When you do that, you're hitting the guy in the back of the head, you know, many times. Mm-hmm. You, you know, a lot of the, the head kicks, it wraps around and you're really shinning the person on the back of the head. Yeah, I guess I would have to know, like, the science of, like, the denseness of the skull behind. What about the temple, though? Yeah, good point. Temple's, like, the fucking most vulnerable area of your skull. It's so mm. thin. You ever, like, look at us. And if you hold us, this is not a real skull, but this area is like, it's so fucking vulnerable. Your temple, like, I would not want to get hit here, man. This is a, it's such a bitch ass part of your head. Like, it hurts <laughs> just poking it, right? Yeah. Poke your temple. That hurts. Why do we have those? I don't know. Why do Why we, don't have, we balls? Just have like this? Why have our balls hanging out? You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like this, so much of the design of so the human body. So we can show them off. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, right? I think it's actually a cooling thing. I think it's supposed to be uh, to keep your balls. Uh, cooler so that you have more sperm because one of the things that spe- uh, really affects uh, sperm growth and development is heat yeah. so like if you had your balls inside your body all protected and you were hot from running or something like that you'd probably have bad jizz yeah you don't want bad jizz you don't want bad jizz you want good jizz yeah, if you want to make babies <laughs> you want to make babies you, you got to have cool balls <laughs> so I guess it's something about the balls being outside the body where it's not as uh, dependent upon the heat of the body mm. I don't know great job evolution yeah, a lot of wacky stuff. Why are <laughs> eyeballs so vulnerable? You know. Oh, oh, that's another thing that's going on this weekend is UFC is debuting a new set of gloves. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, I have maintained, and I still do, that uh, Trevor Whitman makes the fucking best MMA gloves that have ever existed. Mm. And I think that everybody should use those gloves. Uh, those, those, I put those Onyx gloves on before. They make your hand completely curved. They still allow grappling, but it keeps your hand like this where you don't have as many eye pokes. Nice. And these new gloves, there's a, a video of Gilbert Burns uh, explaining it. And Gilbert is showing. Let's see what we got here. Let's put this. Those are them? Yeah. Don't see, but it's not. It kind of make you, your fingers go down, so less eye poke. I like it, see? My hands are relaxed, it goes here, it doesn't stay here. Oh, that's smart. Way better for no, no eye poke. I like, I like these new gloves. So this is I a love- new one. So hopefully that's going to make a difference. Um, I think that's uh, been a thing that a lot of people have complained about is that the old UFC gloves, they encourage your hands to be in an open position. And when guys are fighting like this and they're running, like eye pokes are one of the worst fucking things about the sport. I scratch my eye almost every fight. Really? Almost every single fight. I, I have like a, 
So I got that PRK surgery. It's like LASIK, except they like seal up. I got it like six, seven years ago or whatever. And still, if I get hit right in the eye or if even like a digit goes in my eye, even a little bit, the rest of my night is ruined because I'm like sitting there all night going like this. It happens after almost every single fight. You ever scratched your eye? Yeah. It's the worst pain that I've ever felt in my life. It's horrible. It's horrible. I remember one time I did it because it used to happen all the time for me. Like, I don't know if I would re-get PRK surgery. It doesn't happen anymore, really only in fights. But uh, one time it happened and I like remember being on the couch. I had to call my mom to come pick me up to take me to the hospital because I thought it was like really messed up. And the next day my body hurt because I was doing this just for hours. For hours I was doing that. It hurts so bad. Jim Miller, apparently, you talk about a durable guy. That's another guy that's never had an injury, a real injury, which is crazy. With all the fucking wars that guy's been in. But he got poked real bad in his last fight, and he's got some sort of a cataract now. Mm. And he's trying to figure out whether or not he should keep competing or get surgery on the eye. You should wear swim goggles. Uh, That'd be crazy. It would be crazy. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. It would be ridiculous. It would solve the problem. I guess, but is there a way to put swim goggles on where they wouldn't get fogged <laughs> up and wouldn't get... Dude, that would hurt worse. What I about like blood? It... What about like if somebody gets a cut on their forehead and they're on top of you, ground upon, they're just bleeding all your, <laughs> all your goggles, <laughs> and then you get up and you can't see, and you wipe it away, but you're smeared, now you're looking at like a, a fucking dirty windshield? Have you seen that fight where uh, <coughs> I get armbarred by Yuri? Mm. You gotta see it, man. You haven't seen that fight? I probably have. It was early in my career. It was like my second fight in the UFC or something. It's one of the fights that I feel see like I'm kind of that I'm kind of known for a little bit. But Yuri gets me in like a really bad armbar, and I'm like triangled. And he's straightening out my armbar. Oh, I remember. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is like early in my career. I even look kind of like a young dude. But dude, so he starts hitting me or whatever, and blood. Uh, pretty soon. Yep, there you go. Yep, he's just hammering my face. But, dude, so the blood starts going into my eye. So, like, this situation just gets 100 times worse because now I'm just having, like, this pink fog in my eye. Oh, wow. It Look was horrible. Blood. People forgot about Yuri. Yuli, dude, Yuri, Yuri was a beast. Yuri was a beast. Dude, when I fought him, he had 20 UFC fights. I remember this because you got out of this. And it was wild. Yeah, but all of this blood, I can't see anything because all of the blood is still in my eye. It was crazy. But when you did get out of it, I remember thinking, oh, shit. I was so mad. <laughs> I was so mad. I was like, I'm going to fucking kill this guy. The whole time I was like, when I get fucking out of this, it was like a little brother that like, had me in like a thing. And I was like, you motherfucker, when I get out of this, I'm going to beat your ass so bad. <laughs> How was, bad was your arm? Uh, it was pretty hurt. Uh, it wasn't like uh, broken or anything, but I had bruising from the wrist all the way up, so I definitely tore some stuff. Did you have to take much time off after that to heal it up? Uh, like a few weeks. <clears throat> the elbows heal really quick, actually. Like uh, I've never hurt my elbow so bad where I've had to take more than like six weeks off. There's some arm bar finishes in the UFC where you just go, oh, yeah. God, like uh, like uh, Jamal, uh, Jamal Hill mm -hmm. when he fought um, Paul Craig. Mm. Paul Craig dislocated his arm. We were sure it was broken. We're sure he snapped it. I mean, probably some bones chipped Paul off. Paul Craig there for has sure. a motherfucker of a guard. That's the dude with the beard. Yeah, yeah, he's the good. Bear Jew. He calls himself <laughs> the Bear Jew, which is one of the greatest nicknames ever. But that guy's got a fucking wicked guard, man. His guard is so dangerous. Yeah, you know, he catches people with, with that fucking guard. Where you're like, God damn, it's like a world class jujitsu guard. Submission artists are awesome. Mm. They're like just as cool as KO artists. To oh, me. for sure. Yeah. yeah. If you get a real elite one that can pull stuff like that off, you know, I mean, look how many times Charles Oliveira submitted people. It's like so intense. 
that guy gets like some juice behind his finishes too. Mm-hmm. That guy knows how to make himself powerful. He's a fascinating guy because he you is. want to talk about a guy who like completely transformed. Like in the early days of his career, he was talented, but when things got hard, he would kind of fold. And something happened, and I think they attributed to the birth of his daughter, that he just became just far more serious and far more intense and just like really believed that he was the fucking man. And then went on this tear, just a fucking tear, Dude, running through guys. That happens, man. Like I really think that like uh, a lot of stuff in life is just making like the decision to do it. Like, once you fully commit to the decision to do something, that can change your life, man. Yeah. And I think that that's what he did. It changed him, too. It changed his perception, the people's perceptions of him, because people had this idea of who he was. And then once he beat, like, Gaethje and he beat all these other... No one had that perception anymore. Mm-hmm. Once he beat Chandler, everybody was like, this guy is a motherfucker. And it was... You watched it all. It wasn't like he had those fights overseas and other organizations and then he figured it out. No, he did it in the biggest stage of the world and made that transformation from getting KO'd by Cub Swanson, getting beat up by Paul Felder. And then all of a sudden, this guy fucking hits a switch and he's a he's a. A destroyer, one of the greatest champions ever. I really think it's like sometimes you just make a decision. Yeah. You know, you're like, fuck second place for now on, fuck second place. Do you ever worry that you won't know that you don't have the same commitment that you have now? Uh, yeah, I, I do. Um, so uh, I, I used to train with Andy Sauer a bit mm. in, in Holland, like uh, when I was 22, 23, I went out there and, um, I remember talking to him about that, and he was like, the passion, sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. Like, I I sometimes fight for paychecks, you know? And I remember at, like, 22, that was, like, such a thing for me to hear, you know? Because I was like, Andy Sauer was, like, my idol, you know? And I love Andy, and I don't mean to tell that in a way where, like, it's just a that, reality. that offends him. It is kind of a reality, you know? He's a great fighter. Great fighter. And then, so I, I remember, like, hearing that, and I remember being like, oh, that's a possibility, you know? Mm. Like, you just run out of, like, the competitive juice. Like, yeah, that does scare me. I, I don't I don't know that I'll do it past that unless I'm making, like, millions and millions of dollars, and I'll maybe, like, look past that. Right. <laughs> but, if something crazy comes along. Yeah. Yeah, I... I worry about that because I see it in certain fighters. I mm. see fighters that are in contention for the title and they, they just have this certain type of drive. And then you see a few losses and then you see them competing and maybe they just don't look as hard, like their body looks different and then their their endurance is not the same and you realize this guy's kind of phoning it in. And he was a world-class fighter at one point in time. I know. It's kind of a sad thing to see too. It is. I, uh... Yeah, I really hope to never have to be that way, you know? Maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't, I don't know. It's a sad thing to see champions when their body is not working right anymore, but they think they're going to be able to pull that magic out. I know. And it just doesn't exist anymore. Who? I think it's like, it's probably their loved ones, On it's like on those people to tell them to stop, huh? I mean, because as like a fighter, I don't really know that it would... I don't know if it'd be on me to tell me to stop, (laughs) you know, like just being the fighter that like being the person that you got to be to be a fighter that really shouldn't ever cross your brain. Right. So you probably have to have loved ones around you to be like, hey, man, like we're calling it. I think there's that. And then there's also the issue that for many fighters, that is their entire identity. 
Their entire identity mm. is that they're a fighter. And losing that identity by becoming a former fighter and now being lost in the world and not knowing what direction to take or what to do with yourself, it's one of the hardest transitions because fighting is so all-in. It's so all-encompassing. It's so obsessive that once that's gone from, from your life, unless you're teaching, unless you're running an academy or running a gym or you know working with younger fighters, it's hard to find something that will occupy your thoughts in the way that competing does. Yeah, definitely. I uh, I was talking with someone last week, just small talking with him. I was with my fiance. He goes, so what do you guys like do for fun? And I kind of like look at Erica and I'm like, the fuck do we do for fun? You know, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. We don't do anything. <laughs> we watch trash television and then in the summer I'll play spike ball. <laughs> you know, that's about it. Uh, but the identity thing is always something that I think is really interesting to me. Like... Um, like uh, just the human experience and trying to like create this like identity or latch on to some type of identity to me is like one of the things that uh, humans I think need to dig really deep to try to overcome. I think that that's like a piece of why we're here is to overcome like just latching on to an identity and rocking with that for your entire life. You yeah. know, like that's like uh, that's something I feel like I had to do a lot, you know, coming up in the sport and just being like. Okay, like you're not a fighter you know like you are a fighter but only sometimes you're like really what you are is this like other thing but fighter is just like a piece of it you know it's you're a really, human you're a human yeah and the fighting thing the thing the thing about identities is that they can be a, a trap like you could just like lean into that and use that like to sort of protect you from the just the weirdness of life like just the just the uncertainty the the, the, the just the existence so instead, you're like, man, I'm a bad motherfucker. I'm a this, I'm a that. And, and you live in that. And then when that gets shattered, you're kind of fucked. Because if that gets questioned in a fight, if you lose your confidence in that in a fight, and that's the thing that you're banking on, instead of just existing and trying to make adjustments, now you're questioning like, oh, my God, do I suck? Oh, my God, what do I do? Who am I? I've been pretending that I'm this thing, and now I'm getting my ass kicked. Yeah. How do I recover from this? Yeah, like the 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 pull to like organize life in a way is you know something that we all kind of have to like do or deal with or whatever. But it feels better when things are organized, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, and and when we have reasons for things. When I actually lost my first fight, that was when I really started getting into Buddhism. Was after I lost my first professional fight. Who was that to? Uh, it was against ja Jamal Emmers. Um, it was for LFA or RFA or whatever it was called at the time, but. Uh, I remember being like, uh, oh, shit, what am I if I'm not like a, this badass fighter that everyone's telling me if I win, I'm going to be in the UFC and I'm going to be champ and blah, blah, blah. Like that like shattered my identity, man. It like really fucked me up for like the rest of that year, like six or eight months. I spent a ton of time in the mountains, like hiking and camping. And like that's when I started meditating. I started getting into Buddhism because Buddhism is really about like letting go of all of your attachments. And that means like letting go of like the physical stuff, but also like the mental creation of whatever persona you're putting on in your life and mm. stuff. And uh, the mountains helped me do that. They like assisted in all of that. But uh, the, the battle with identity, I've feel like I have like a pretty close intimate relationship with because it's a son of a bitch to try to let go of all of that stuff but you kind of have to I think at some point in your life if you want to really start being and expressing yourself the way that you want to well I think that's what's interesting about this conversation is that you have done so much of this work and you have done so much of this thinking about what that is and how that aids you and how that hurts you and and how it gets in the way yeah um
I think that you just have to do it at some point in your life. Like, uh, that's even like, I think one of the steps in, like I follow Carl Jung, like kind of close. He's like a little bit too dense for me to like fully understand, but a part of like becoming individuated or becoming like enlightened or whatever word you want to use for it is letting go all that shit that like you learned when you were younger, because like none of that was really you. Those were just things that you got indoctrinated into. And like a part of, I think the human experience and the human journey needs to be letting go of all of that stuff and like letting go of all of that stuff really hurts, you know? Yeah. Just letting go of these preconceived notions and, but the, the unease of uncertainty just haunts people mm-hmm. and you try to find these, these ways of being that protect you from that. This, uh, personality that you put on that's like an armor that protects you from from uncertainty yeah it it gives you a community it gives you like other people that you feel like you can like walk through this thing with you know but at the end of the day it's kind of like just you and i think that like it's only you that can like figure out your shit can't be like a community of people that you're just going to identify with so that like things run a little bit smoother you know i don't really think you'll become like a full person how much do you think it helps your career that you teach? Uh, a ton. Uh, I've been teaching for a really long time now, though, um, and I've kind of had to pull back a little bit because I realize how much of a commitment it is to have fighters underneath you. You know, like it's not easy trying to make someone good. So I've had to pull back on it a little bit. Honestly, what's helped me a lot recently become really good uh, and like really a lot deeply understand things is I've been writing out those instructionals. Uh, And like that's helped me a lot just like organize the things that I'm doing and like uh, not like rules because rules can always be broken when I think that you're at a certain level. But like, man, writing out, writing shit out, like how things work really, really has helped me a ton. It's interesting because in jujitsu, you see that a lot where people start teaching and when they start teaching, they get way better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I, I so I have this guy, uh, he's, he's almost like a little brother. I don't even, or like a kid to me. His name is Elias Rodriguez, but he's like one of my main drilling partners. He's a 21 year old kid. I care about him deeply, but I'm helping him go through his amateur years right now. And, uh, I, it's crazy how much like me helping him is him helping me because I get to watch like I said, like I like watching people in con- I like watching people in stressful situations because I like to see how they act. Like I help Elias, and that like has made me better understand things and all of that. But also, Elias is helping me a lot by me like seeing one if like the things that I'm teaching him is like working in like all types of uh, bodies. You know, like I feel like if you have a really true and tried system, it's going to work for everyone to an extent. But, uh, like, just watching Elias go through everything is, like, really helping me understand the sport a lot better, too. And that's kind of, like, because I'm helping him, he's able to do that for me. But, uh, yeah, that's been a really, really helpful thing. Like, the instruction piece, I feel like I've been doing for so long, so I can, like, kind of teach some people some stuff fairly well now. But, uh, like, bringing up a fighter has taught me a lot about being a fighter myself and and all of that so you have this big win over marlin what happens next how long do you Mm. does the ufc contact you immediately do you start talking to them about what's next Uh, does it wait on the henry cejudo aljermaine fight i think it kind of does i think so 
I'm pretty sure O'Malley was promised like a title fight after the Cejudo Sterling. I don't know when that's going to be. I think that, you know, ideally the UFC will want to do it pretty soon, like maybe July, August soon, like not give not give whoever wins that too much of a break. Um, Marab is still there. I, I would love to fight Marab. I think that that would be like an amazing challenge for me. Um, there's also Umar Nurmagomedov, who said that he was going to be fighting against Marab. I don't know how much truth there is to that, yeah. but I know that the UFC, I think, is pretty high on Umar. He's a bad motherfucker. He is. He's very good. Um, so it could be one of those guys, but I would I would ideally like to fight in July or August. Like I said, I get married September 1st, and I like may you know like erica would understand if i had to be in camp for the wedding but that would like really break her heart kind of yeah. so i really want to i don't even care if it's a week before and i don't even think she cares if it's a week before if i fight but uh i would really like to fight before september 1st so that erica doesn't kill me <laughs> yeah. well the july card's gonna be wild that's gonna be a good one and i don't know who's on that yet i don't know if they have an announcement for that but they always do a big card Volkanovski, Yair Rodriguez, unification bout targeted for July. Mm -hmm. Whoa, that's a good one. That is a great that's one. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Yair looked great against Emmett. Fuck yeah, he did. He did great. Yeah. I mean, and Volk looked really great against Islam, too. He really did, yeah. yeah. But Volk at 145, what a fucking juggernaut. Seriously. Yeah, I am so impressed with that guy. I was so impressed in that Makachev fight. I'm like, I can't believe how I well know. he did. I, I thought know. he won. I thought he did, too. I thought it was all about the second round. I thought he edged him in the second round, and I thought that it, the way he performed in the fifth round, I think that should have cemented it. Yeah. Yeah, I was really impressed because I, I think that the those like Russian guys are obviously really good wrestlers, like definitely world-class wrestlers, but I think what they were doing before a lot of the other people in the UFC is some people could get people down, but they couldn't really hold them. Yeah. And like those guys know how to hold people down. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's like the most fascinating thing to me about the Russians is that, you know, like the wrestling piece, there's a lot of good American wrestlers too, but the Russians really know how to hold people down. And that was like what, what I think separates them from like the normal wrestler grappler archetype. But, uh, dude, the way Volkanovsky was getting up against him was fantastic. Incredible. It was amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Especially being down a weight class yeah. usually. I was kind of surprised he didn't have a rematch. I mean, I know he wanted to defend his title, and Yari Rodriguez, obviously, he won the interim title, so he should get the next shot, but it was such a big fight and such an insane fight. I would kind of like to see that again. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, Corey, you're a bad motherfucker. I appreciate you very much, and I really love your mindset and the way you approach things, and it's, it's really fun to watch you just keep getting better and, and, and make your way to the top. Hell yeah. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me you, on, man. I appreciate you. Uh, tell everybody your Instagram and all that stuff so they can find you. Uh, Corey Sanhagen, MMA on Instagram. I don't use Twitter ever, so, uh, yep, just Instagram. All right. Beautiful. Thank cool. you. All right. Thank Bye, you. everybody.